Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm Deb Fillman, your host, and this is the channel where we talk about everything related to education and culture, especially as it relates to kids, parenting, things of that nature. Um, today, I have a fun guest, I think. I think it's going to be a great conversation. I've invited David Cray. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Okay. Yes. David Cray to come and talk to me about mm, the cultural shifts that we're seeing. Some some people call it the culture war. I don't really like using terminology like that because every generation goes through major cultural shifts. And I think each one thinks it's a war. <laughs> I'm not saying there aren't some serious problems that we're facing, but I don't know that it really serves our purposes to talk about it quite like that. Um, and I've asked him to come and talk to me because I follow him on Twitter and I noticed that he talks about things and thinks about things in a similar way to me in that he doesn't look at things from the top down in the political sense. Um, he's looking much more from the bottom up at our, you know, each of our roles and things and is much more talking about philosophy and concepts like authoritarianism and, you know, how, where people are on that sort of authoritarian spectrum rather than saying, you know, left or right or Republican or Democrat, just how much do you want to be in other people's business? Right. And also he's very interested in history, philosophy, the constitution, privacy, surveillance, all these things that I'm interested in. So I've followed him for a long time and like a lot of his takes. And I thought, you know, I'm going to talk to that guy and see what's going on. We had a preliminary conversation yesterday to plan for this recording and discovered something interesting. We're both Generation X, but we're kind of bookends. I'm at the very beginning in 1966, and he's more towards the end of Gen X. And yet we had some similar similar experiences. And I think it, it may have shaped how we look at what's going on right now in the culture. And I just thought it would be fun to talk through some of that. So welcome, David. Thank you for joining me. And um, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, um, yeah, I know we had a, an, an interesting chat yesterday. Uh, we probably should hit record on some of that as well. Um, I know, right? Uh, but uh, but no, that's okay. We can we can recover some of that. One of the things um, uh, you mentioned about uh, culture, um, we'll start with that uh, being like sort of a bottom up uh, kind of thing. Is is I I see culture as I mean as a I mean my background is as as a writer. I'm a filmmaker, sometimes actor too, even sometimes musician, but that's more on the fun side. I but should have mentioned that. That was like all okay. supposed to be in my intro. That's, that's all right. <laughs> and I'm busy uh, going, he's interested in this and interested yeah. in that. And I totally well, forgot that what you do. Well, that's okay. We're, I mean, we're here to talk about ideas. Uh, and, that's you know, true. we, a lot of people do many, many different things, have worn many hats. I mean, anybody in the arts uh, and entertainment business has probably done other things <laughs> along the way because you don't start off. Uh, at the top, uh, like okay. a lot of, so, um, I mean, I've had a couple, I guess I've had a couple different, um, mini careers in different, uh, different spheres, not necessarily, not all of them entertainment. I've worked in advertising as well. And, and like we talked about earlier, I, um, I did briefly work overseas and doing some, a bit of government work once upon a time. And, and, uh, but anyway, back to, to, with regards to culture, um, uh, one of the issues that I kind of, think is a is is an issue or is a problem um uh today that we're seeing uh seeing a lot of sort of waves on is this question of of uh 
creative expression and and free expression or free you know people say oh freedom of speech but there's also artistic expression involved with that right and and uh i think people recently would have would have seen the the notice from netflix saying that to a lot of their employees saying look you're gonna have to work on content that you might not agree with politically um you know based on your your political views or your ideologies like look we, we believe in uh, i think they said something about you know look free expression creative free mm -hmm. creative freedom and from my perspective as a as a writer as a filmmaker and and as somebody who's trained as an actor you know one of the things you um for me i think the difference is is between art and what i call agit prop uh propaganda is whether your your expression is free whether you're you're it's natural it's coming up from from you the individual the, or the people they talk about the grassroots right and that's culture that's where culture comes from um it's a thing that's alive it's evolving it's a product of many cultures um blending together you know all the cultures we have today are the product of previous cultures that came before right um mm -hmm. like bits and pieces of it and then being expressed in new ways to to a large degree um but we've have this politics this kind of I guess it's an ideology now uh, that's kind of become in vogue over the last, I'd say the last few decades. Um, I mean, I remember when sort of a lot of the, the rhetoric started becoming really popular in the 1990s when I was a student in, in the early 90s. Um, and, and that has kind of become an ideology that's, that's um, you know, they talk about cultural appropriation and they say, well, you should, yeah. you shouldn't uh write about this i mean from a writer's perspective at first they were saying right. you should write things that are inclusive that include everybody and that shows diversity i'm like great let's do that and then, then the, and all of a sudden now they're like you're not allowed to write about this that and the other thing because you don't represent those groups and you're like well which is it right so and then you turn on bridgerton <laughs> yeah. and you know and it's and and everything or you know the, suddenly ariel is going to be black and and the thing is like but to your point as far as artistic expression, like most people in America probably really wouldn't care yeah, about how you're casting these things. We traditionally haven't. It's been like pretty diverse for a long, long time. It's not brand new. Yeah, but I think when you now, when you add the component of the finger wagging, don't you dare culturally appropriate, it sort well, of right? acts as a, as a triggering mechanism for people to start noticing the hypocrisy that you just pointed out. And it's not that they're annoyed that Ariel is going to be black. It's that they're annoyed at the hypocrisy or the the lack of consistency in the in the message. I think. Well, that's it, least. right? Like, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've long been a proponent of of open casting and diverse casting. Um, I mean, uh, going back now, two thousand and two, maybe two thousand and three. Um, I pitched, uh, and and we got it greenlit. It was a short project. Um, a friend of mine had had auditioned to a Shakespeare festival, a rather prestigious one, and uh, and she was Asian and had been kind of turned away because they were a little bit. I think they were a little being a little bit racist, and I kind of I got annoyed by that. I said, "Well, why shouldn't you be able to play any character, right? In fact, right. they could do. I mean, they can not only do modern day interpretations, right? You could take a Shakespearean play and set it in New York City." and have different uh, people be from different neighborhoods, right? Like Romeo and Juliet, instead of Montagues and Capulets, they're from uh, from this neighborhood and that neighborhood, and maybe they're different. West background. Side Story is yeah, right? pretty much what that is, right? Yeah. Right. So, yep. so I, I, uh, I thought, well, 
why not do as a it was a short film of all these different people of all these different backgrounds and ethnicities um and identities and this is 20 years ago now uh each of them saying you know the famous speech from hamlet right the to be or not to be right course, you know, like, that is the and, question right? yeah and and uh and and then cut do, do fast cuts between all of them and that so that all of them on their acting resume could say that they played the dane <laughs> so i thought that would be kind of fun but um no i mean so you know diversity and casting and all that that's fine i mean that's great but then there's you're right then there there was this additional layer that's been added to things in in more recent years where right. it's this stay in your lane and you're and and every everything has to be representation of some group and you're like this is no longer free this is no longer creative this is no longer creativity this is now turning it, it's feeling more like propaganda it's feeling more it's been politicized so much that you right. can't just and, and part of creative freedom is being able to play right they talk right. about actors and it sounds maybe a little immature but when you're like when you sit down to write something when you, like like a musician they sit down and, and they just start playing and getting the getting a, a vibe going right. and yeah there's there's much more there's craft to writing and to acting and and to performance and and to and to directing and there's composition involved yes but there's also creative freedom and that has to exist within your your psyche and when you're right. constantly on eggshells, um, right. when you're constantly uh, trying to police yourself for, uh, right. why well, we can't say that this way and, and, and uh, we're not allowed to talk about that. And or we have to say it this way. Like I was watching a, a, a network show that I watch mm -hmm. now. I, I watch it on Hulu because I can't stand commercials, but I was catching up for a couple episodes and I love the show. It's a great show. I think it's a well-written show. But there was a scene in the most recent episode that I just felt was so contrived. So that I felt, you know, the, the have to say or have to throw something in. And I thought to myself, you know, it's not that it bothers me. I, it's not that the subject matter annoys me. Basically, you had an FBI, a female FBI agent and, and a trainee FBI agent, also female. And they're riding in a car together. And one is talk, you know, talking about how to the trainee about how, you know, this is a hard job and you probably don't want it. Where I'm not having to had a relationship last more than I'm into one night stands and all this. And then she has to throw in, in my last girlfriend. So now we know she's a lesbian. Okay, fine. Who cares? Uh, but it was kind of the way that the way she said it was less contrived than what the trainee said next. And she says, she then says, oh, but are they good? Meaning like, was the sex good? And this is a network TV show, right? On primetime. And the woman kind of made a face and she goes, all right then. And she goes, well, my last she goes, my last boyfriend broke up with me because I sometimes have girlfriends. And my last girlfriend broke up with me because I joined the FBI and she's in, you know, defund the police or whatever. And the whole exchange just felt so fake. It felt like this conversation would never happen. This felt like somebody in the writer, the writer's desk sat down and said, let's somehow work in bisexuality to the conversation with the lesbian, uh, with the trainee, with the... Uh, and on top of it, she was black so that we have all this going on. And it took away from what was otherwise a really good episode. And like I said, it's not the subject matter. I couldn't care less who you sleep with what you do. That's irrelevant. It's the entertainment was compromised by me having to deal with this contrived dialogue that just was so it felt obviously designed to make the audience aware of something or like kind of drive home some point and yeah. represent and all this. And 
I'm sorry, they can't deny it anymore. When you're using language like representative and diversity, equity, and inclusion, you don't get away with saying, no, that was totally authentic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was totally natural. Do you, you remember after school specials? Yes. <laughs> okay, right? So after school specials for the, for the younger folks uh, following along, uh, you know, they were the after school or TV special, an hour or two, like little mini movies that were on. And they always had some message and it was, they lay, lay, lay it on real thick and it was so real fake thick. and so corny and everyone just made fun of these things. And they weren't bad stories, but they were just badly done. Um, yeah. Like this, this really obvious, like be safe, you know, da, 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 right. Like a lot of the crap and the slogans and, 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 they, and to me, a lot of the, that dialogue that you're describing sounds it's it's it, it echoes those corny fake lame ass after school specials that well and these are the people who can't stop using the word authentic yeah they're they're authentic selves and they're authentic this or that i'm like and it's fake. literally it's so, everything yeah. about you and your 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 whatever this this you know, thing is that you're doing, uh, some, you know, woke, um, political correctness on steroids, like whatever you want to call it is inauthentic. It's contrived to push a specific message or narrative, which is as near as I can tell, you know, like don't be normal <laughs> with normal being anything remotely traditional, anything mainstream, anything that is just, you know, I don't know. Well, and even, they even had the word basic in our kids' vocabulary. Oh, they're so basic. Well, anything that's calculated too, right? So much of, again, it's all political, right? And and there's this, this idea that, that we're seeing more and more that they're politicizing everything, this this sort of cultural movement. Um, and it's in education. It's it's in it's not just in politics, it's in media, it's in it's in news media, it's in arts and cultural media, and it's in education too, it's in the schools. And it's 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 horribly for lack of a better word, it's lame. Uh, and maybe that's <laughs> ageist to call it, or not that's ageist. Our, uh, that's our ableist. Gen X word, it's lame. This, <laughs> ableist language to call it, but you know what? I don't care. Um, it's lame. Uh, it's so lame. Uh, because it's like, it's not, it comes across as fake. So much yeah. of it. So, And like you said, contrived. And that's an excellent word. Um Here's a, something interesting from the from the sort of acting world, acting directing world. When you're um, one thing I, I, I noticed um, fairly early on uh, directing actors it, uh, in film, where you'll do the same scene and you'll do multiple takes, you know, and and you know, so you, you'll all right, you know, action. The actors do their acting, cut, all right, and and always, almost all the time. The, the, the take that the actor thought they did the best, they were like, yeah, that was the one. That was that. I nailed that scene. It was terrible. It's not their best take, usually. Um, the ones that they had no idea what they just did, when they just, they can't even remember, they're like, I have no idea what I just did. That was where they were truly, it came alive, where they, because they weren't thinking about it. And this is a term we have called being in your head, right? As you're not being the character, you're thinking about being a character. And this to me is the difference between what is natural performance versus what is fake. And when, it, when an actor is aware of what they're doing, when they're fully, they're, they're not engaged, they're not in the moment, they're not free, mm -hmm. is when they come across as fake. And so much of this stuff comes across as fake. 
Um, so when you it, see like the TikTok kids and the TikTok teachers and all these little videos of people modeling their persona, you know, and their identities and all this stuff, are you looking at it that way? Like, do you look at it and, and read to, it similarly? I try to, well, a lot of this stuff is autobiographical, right? So it's not performance. It's not narrative drama. Um, so that, whereas narrative drama, when you're watching like a TV series or a movie, um, that's a narrative drama. And, and a lot of these scenes, like the one you described, they come across as fake because the writers are injecting politics into there. Now, when right. some kid on, on TikTok uh, or some person on TikTok wants to rant about whatever it is that's important to them, about their, their I don't know, um, you know, what their pronouns non, or something. Their pronouns or what being non binary means to them. Um, fine. That's just them. Uh, um, sort of autobiographically speaking about the thing. So a lot of them actually come across as uh, as authentic because they truly believe what they're saying and then and it's not contrived, especially the, I find a lot of the sort of younger ones. You, some of the older ones that like some teachers on there, they're like, now we're going to talk about the thing that's really important to me because this is my politics and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, 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 you know, as corny as, as I don't know. I don't know, but I'm you get the read that the kids, the kids are, 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 are that's, they, they believe it. That's well, real I, for them. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what they've been told. That's that. These are the, these are the words that they've been fed and this is the language that they learned. Right. And right. it's really important to them right now, but you, you remember like, yeah, maybe we're, we're, you know, getting a little, we're, we're grownups now, uh, but not so far away from our youth that we don't remember how, <laughs> important everything was back then i mean when you're a teenager and sure. and also college kid into your 20s everything's so important right <laughs> like yeah there's an intensity to your yeah. definition of yourself yeah you take yourself very seriously i mean i remember i i don't know about you but i didn't start dialing that back and not taking myself very seriously until i was close to 30 like it was it was just like alarmingly late that i still was like very concerned with how my, you know, how I was packaging myself for the outside world's sort mm -hmm. of consumption. And, and we were talking yesterday about that. We were talking about, um, you know, how things were when we were, when we were kids and how, how they were different as far as how we, you know, like the experiences that we had and the perspective that we had were radically different than kids today. However, one thing that was similar was that we did have identity markers and you know it's not talked about a lot right like i don't know what you were in high school but i was kind of like i was a tomboy i was somewhere between like a jock and a nerd but i hung out with the theater kids in high school because i did like props and costumes and stuff mm -hmm. but i really my, my my core identity was like soccer player nerdy student with her hand always in the air you know like i was the kid and that everybody rolled their eyes when i raised my hand and the teacher would be like somebody else somebody besides filming you know it was like that um but and i i i i wore it like like a costume like i didn't i was aware of it i was acutely aware of it and i leaned into it i remember that because i couldn't be the other things like I wasn't ever going to be the princess. I wasn't ever going to be, um, you know, the girl that everybody wanted to be friends with. I wasn't ever going to be like a punk that, and I remember thinking about that. And this is what's so funny is each group of kids thinks the other one is conforming and they're not. 
Oh, yeah, I yeah. remember looking at like the punk kids who had like the black combat boots and the long coats and whatever the Judd Nelson wannabes mm-hmm. of both of both sexes. And we're thinking, you know, you think you're so counterculture, but you're really conformist. There I was in my little <laughs> polo shirt flipped up or whatever. And but we had that. And and we act like today that these kids aligning themselves with these different identities that it's so new. It's like, no, 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 that we had that, too. in Gen X. Yeah. And you at know, least I um, think so. Millennials had their emos and their cutters. Um, I mean, you know, Gen X had we had our goths and our and our punks and our and our you know the 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 jocks and the and the the stoners, you know, the stoners and the skaters, the preppies, the, the preppies. Yeah. yeah. So like there were the different cl- cliques, right? And um, at, and the groups now, of course, they've got uh, you know, I don't know the. <laughs> what they have now, but certainly I've got a zillion different labels, right? Yes. And and that yes. seems to be something different. That and and a lot of it. That's like, true. We didn't walk around going, "Hi, I'm Deb. I'm a nerdy tomboy jock girl." Yeah, like yeah, we like, didn't do that. Hello, my name is, and here are my yeah, we didn't pronouns. Like we didn't do pronouns. We didn't do our. We didn't label ourselves. We just no. knew who we were based on who who we hung yeah. out with, right? Like, well, it was more geared towards like our hobbies and our interests and what, which, like which other kids we most, we felt most comfortable around. Yeah. So we definitely did seem to be looking for um, groups or looking for something to attach to as far as peer groups um, rather than just floating, you know, just floating individuals. So I guess my point is, we often talk about ourselves now that we're adults as like, well, we were super independent because we were latchkey kids. Right. But, and we were, we were independent yeah. in the, I can make my own food and do my own laundry and open the door and go in the house alone and stuff like that and be out till dark. But I don't know that we were socially any more independent than anybody today. Not sure. No, probably not. I mean, when you're, I mean, when you're trying to, and this is, I think one of the issues that I, I have with what's going on now in, in uh, culture and education and media is, um, when you're that age, you're trying to figure yourself out, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure out who am I? What are, what are the, what makes me tick? Like you said, you, you, you didn't quite f- fully kind of let go a lot of that sort of until you were almost 30, right? It's a long yep. process to kind of become a grown up, right? To go from being a kid to yep. hitting that horrible puberty <laughs> and, and all the awkward weirdness of that and the confusion of that. Right. And I think that's yep. a big part of it is that, we're not acknowledging that there's that confusion that kids have in their in their late grade school into middle school and into high school that that whenever they whenever the changes start happening um yeah right that there's confusion and that's okay and that's normal and you should have that because you haven't figured it out yet instead there, there seems to be this 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 idea that well we have to the teachers and and sort of these culture warriors want to uh pounce on kids and like here you here's your identities and we're gonna give you all the and you're like well just what is that hey teachers leave them kids alone right right <laughs> uh, well you know we we talked about this i have i have i've have sort of this working theory around that in the sense that when we were kids those of us who were sort of latchkey or even if we weren't latchkey our parents were we were the first generation that really had the two income family you know but that was very yeah. widespread or divorced so you know when i was in grade school like nobody's parents were divorced that i knew then by the time i got to middle school 
It was like they started dropping like flies. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking this because I my, my family was like one of the first ones to get divorced and like amongst my friend's group. And I was horrified. I was like, <gasps> even though I couldn't stand my mom and she was terribly abusive. And I you know, I say it on the channel all the time. Like part of me was like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. But it was still socially really weird to be the one kid in your friend group that like your mom wasn't there at all. Like my kid, right. my friends didn't know my mom was a jerk. Not until later. But then by middle school, high school, it was like every other kid, you know, that was divorce was common. And what I wonder is those of us who grew up that way, when we had to go through puberty, basically alone, like nobody was sitting us down and saying, all right, let's have a chat. Right. We got it from like Judy Bloom and then later Judith Krantz. <laughs> and, you know, maybe once HB <laughs> there, that too. And then, oh my God, VC Andrews. And then we, and then of course, HBO became a thing and sure. MTV, we were the MTV generation. Yeah. So you started like seeing stuff around. Right. And I wonder if then we grew up and we had kids. And so a lot of us who have kids or the millennials, even who came after us, we didn't have great role models saying like, when your child hits puberty, this is what you should have. Like, we don't have a memory of that. We got it from everywhere else. Do you remember how and, scandalous it was when uh, Cindy Lauper came out with Shebop? Yes. <laughs> Which was a euphemism for self-pleasuring, right? Um, yes. But like, oh, how, how scandalous to talk about that. And now look at what everybody's talking about these days. Everybody. They're talking about it in school. And so, oh, I but I mean, I've encountered so many parents who, and wow. first of all, you get the teachers doing it. who are like, but we have to, we have to, they have a right to this education as if parents won't do it. And I keep waiting for the parents to say, hey guys. It, are you going to speak up and say, we were going to do that? We're doing it. What are you talking about? We're not doing it. But I've met a lot of parents who go, well, I want to have that conversation. I'm not, what? Right. That's so fine. Let the teachers do it. Abdicate to the education system, right? They didn't have it themselves. Right. I think to a large number of people, maybe who were Gen X or then millennials, because Gen X didn't know, like blind leading the blind, that they were accustomed already to the rest of the world educating my child about growing up, right. about getting from age like 10 to 18 is yeah. like you're at the school i'm at work i'm doing the nine to five thing whatever and you know it's like my job is to put the roof over your head send you to summer camp buy you nice things get your cell phone get your blah, 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 and make sure you go to college and then the nitty-gritty was kind of like it was outsourced for us not i won't say it was like literally done but it ended up being and i think people think it's normal like what's oh, a rite well, of passage to learn sex well, ed at school isn't it and and you know what and that wouldn't even be such a horrible thing if it was just, uh, here are the mechanics, here are the basics, here's what you need to know. Exactly. At, mm -hmm. at when, at a, a puberty or age appropriate time, right? And if you want to know more, if you need more information or you're confused about right. anything, go see the guidance counselor who's maybe more uh, trained and, uh, than, than the, the fifth grade English teacher, you know, or whatever. Right. Like, if they made those resources available, and but said here's the basics instead there's like a whole pile of stuff that they're kind of putting onto on the kids minds and you're like wait a second like they first of all they seem to want to do it really young mm -hmm. um and i know this is very controversial right now uh, as a topic but but it's like before kids have even sort of aw awakened to the, that aspect of life right, right? Like at a how, point where it might even be scary for them because they're well, like really not and and i actually think that especially like some of the millennial parents are more attentive than our parents were. And 
so I think that plus other factors, you know, there's there's a little more what you might call like helicopter parenting, a little more worry about stranger danger and all these things that we yeah. had. We, ironically, we were more in danger of being picked up on a panel van than their kids are today. Yeah. And yet we were out till dark. But they I think some the kids today actually are ironically a little more innocent than we were at the younger age. So I think it's even more detrimental. But I wonder if the parents assume that the sex ed is like what we had, which was more about the mechanics and drug use, lots of stuff about drug use. Right. Yeah. And even I remember they did a fair amount of scaring the living daylights out of us about getting pregnant in terms of this is how terrifying it is to have a baby. Like there was the whole here, take the baby home and keep it alive exercise that some people had to do in, in high school. You. Remember the Tamagotchi? <laughs> yes. And then there were those. So, I mean, there were there were things that were people were like, oh, no. But I, and they haven't caught up with it. But the second part of my theory is that it's members of our generation who had crap parents. Really? Like, I mean, or just, you know, not crap. They, were, they maybe do the best they could, but they just weren't really attentive. Okay? They weren't around. Who are now those educators who I, I, I see so much projection going on of the upper levels of education. I'm not talking the 23-year-old student has been brainwashed in college. I'm talking about the person who's, you know, in their 40s and 50s. They have, you know, master's and PhD. They are educators, okay? They are developing programs like, you know, the, the uh, advocacy for youth and amaze and things like that with these com comprehensive sex ed stuff. And they're mm -hmm. developing all the entertainment for Nickelodeon that's geared towards youth that they're our age. Okay. Mm -hmm. There are some millennials obviously too. And but some older too. A lot of the, a lot of the, this, this a lot of this activism is young, younger boomers born in the fifties too. Yeah. A lot but I just wonder yeah. if there's some projection going into this based on their absentee parents. Like there's so much when you listen to them talk like, well, parents aren't around and parents don't do this. And parents don't do that. Like, are you talking from your own personal experience or are you actually referencing some kind of hard data that you have well, does anybody do social research anymore i mean i got <laughs> i got a little bit of trouble a while ago on twitter um, oh no <laughs> well what, what well, i was do? i kept i was met there was this sociologist that i was kind of toying with a little bit um i was criticizing him for you know he was really into like qualitative research he's a social justice academic um, and I, and, and as a sociologist I said, well, aren't the social sciences called social sciences because they were going to apply the scientific method to social research, like rigor, um, you know, gathering wide data sets, like doing actual work, you know, like actual research. And this was offensive. It's so white of you, David. Well, you well, know, okay. actual objective science is the Smithsonian told me so. Sorry. Well, yeah, I <laughs> saw that. that the Smiths, that I know, was the, right? they're, they're infographic. And that that was, if you look at the bottom of that, and I have a screenshot of all that stuff, uh, I saved that. And it's from Judith Katz, 1990, yeah. was when that was the, the material that, that those infographics, which were so racist, and people complained and they pulled it. It was the Smithsonian's um African yeah the african-american history. history component yeah. of their yep mm -hmm. and uh and people were just like what this is crazy right um no this so, so this sociologist got uh got a little upset with me um and invented this uh and and said oh well these people who demand that the, the social scientists actually gather data um they're engaging in <coughs> excuse me um scientific fascism was a, a it's a term that he invented right and <laughs> and the guy 
The guy, Sorry if there was health equity. Well, he posted Climate an equity. on Medium uh, and and posted screenshots of my tweets, uh, non-anonymized, with my face and name on it. This is an example of scientific fascism. And I'm like, I got a little mad at him for that. And we had a little thing on uh, We had it oh out. Oh, my God. And scientific he, fascism. That's wild. So, so he made me try to make me the poster child for this thing. And I thought that was pretty offensive. Um uh, so he, he, so he, he did eventually relent and anonymize it. I mean, it's still there. He still kept my, but, but I kind of laugh. I'm like, if you read this, the, the, it's just basically me saying, come on, buddy, like do some actual research. And I think that's part right. of it is a lot of the stuff that we're seeing going on right now. Uh, the data that they're pulling from is a lot of it's from the 1970s and eighties, right? They're reading yeah. authors and studies and, and famous uh, thinkers, from in these sort of uh, activist movements who are writing from a perspective of a world that no longer exists, first of all, yep. right? And like you yeah. said, they're projecting their own, um, or not even their own, they're projecting so the, the perspective of someone they read who lived, who's, who was writing from a perspective 60 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, mm -hmm. like how, you know, how long ago was the 19... 50s and 60s right right um well that's it and they they really it, it's weird i feel like they're they're living in a in some kind of time warp mm -hmm. where i read some of the stuff and i'm like did you go into a coma at a certain point and then like wake up and you just forgot everything because the other thing that you and i talked about yesterday we talked about being very aware both as children and young adults about the soviet union its existence its impact mm -hmm. the difference between it and its policies and the united states and then i think most importantly you pointed out coming into contact with people towards the end you know at or mm -hmm. after the fall of the soviet union where you know the first generation the, the generation that kind of had like grown up with those policies and what they were most concerned of tell us more about that because i think mm -hmm. that is really interesting what you just said about projection and it's like you know they're in this different time that's well, the one that really drives me crazy about people today well, they're forgetting this whole thing yeah well part of it is i think that um when the cold war ended right and arguably 89 to 90 in, in the early 90s you know as the, the the fall of the berlin wall the dissolution of the soviet union and at the right. end of the day the end of the cold war and there was this collective sigh of relief that, first of all, we weren't all going to be uh, dying a horrible, fiery death of nuclear annihilation, right? Like that was, I don't know if that was your childhood nightmare, but that was mine. No, I mean, um, for sure. They were doing duck and cover drills in my elementary yeah. school. So like, we were, oh, yeah, you know, I'm we sure were... my little desk is going to save my life from nuclear. Yes. <laughs> so you're growing up thinking, so at any moment, at any time, we could all just get the entire surface of planet Earth yep. could be roasted. What was it, like a hundred times they had enough nukes yeah. for or something like that? yeah. So, so that ended and everyone's like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and, and, uh, communism is over. Right. And that was, I think this mistake, this idea, well, it failed, it's over, the threat is gone and we can get on with life now. Right. Right. And then we had <laughs> 10 years of, uh, relative, whatever, not, not a whole lot of, um, no major enemy. And then boom, the war on terror, right. Uh, 9-11 happened. But so then, we, of course, it all became about Middle Eastern terrorism and all this other stuff. But we forgot about that, the ideology, those ideologies. Exactly. And, and this to the point you were you were talking about. Um, in between my sojourns in the film, 
I used to, I was sneaking off uh, off campus to go work in film production when I was a student. Um, and then ended up working uh, overseas for the government. I, uh, family pressures, they wanted me to go into, you know, something a little more respectable than entertainment, um, especially back then. Um, so I kind of humored them a little bit and I did some overseas work for the government. And, and we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, working and it was mainly in working in um, post-communist transition. And that was basically um, helping in different ways with these sort of former Soviet and Eastern Bloc countries who these are entire generations, no one living alive who hadn't grown up under the one party communist system. Right. So they had no idea how to do democracy or capitalism or yeah. free markets. And and so <clears throat> there were um, so that was part of a big part component of the project um, that I first but you mentioned something about surveillance. You said that, you know, they the where they felt the worst. Yeah. You know, like it was kind of like it was not so much the freedom for the, to the, do the commerce part, but it was just the freedom from looking over their shoulder every two seconds, when I right? First went, when I first got there, I mean, I went over, obviously, with my own pre, uh, ideas, and I had studied uh, Russian-Soviet foreign policy and the history of, uh, you know, the, the rise of authoritarianism, you know, fascism in Germany and, and communism in Russia and China, and, you know, had a lot of ideas about that. <clears throat> uh, but, I, yeah, I was surprised that when I when you're, now you're over there, you're meeting people you're working with. I ended up teaching uh, at... Uh, university for a while there and uh uh and and i taught a class uh, i was a master's students international relations um and um and it was interesting to talk to them and these were kids who they had grown up under communism but now they were in no longer living in there in in that world and uh they had a hard time even forget coming up with a thesis but actually picking their own essay topics um, because their whole life they've been told what to write. And this is what's interesting is they, I, I finally called them. I said, guys, what's going on? Like you're, 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 you're dragging your heels on this. And they said, well, can't you just tell us what to write? And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, look, if we write or we say the wrong thing, right. Uh, then it could what it could be held against us like it, it would stop us from getting into our phd programs or maybe like uh prevent us from getting that job we want and and if you just tell us what you want us to write then if we get in trouble for it later we can just blame you and, right. and that's and that was the surprise is i thought that the, and, and a lot of people i talked to had that as their issue in different ways um not yeah the the economic system the soviet the communist economic system sucked it was you know mm-hmm lacked incentives it had its issues but it was the mass surveillance um that really stuck with people and i kind of had this fear that was right. really deep in them this that they were constantly being judged that they were being surveilled that they were being going to be looked at and then anything they ever did could be held against them at any time mm-hmm. and and, and of course they I hated was, it right they oh, hated yeah. it. and it and it, it, it yeah. just stifled them and it stagnated them and i think I, I like to say that the that I know everybody likes to say America won the Cold War, right? But I don't think that's true. I think what happened was Russia lost the Cold War, or not Russia, Soviet, the Soviet Union lost the Cold War more than anything because basically the whole system collapsed 
right? It wasn't like the Cold War was a non-war. It was just a standoff with some proxies. And then one just one side just crumbled. And the other side was left standing. Therefore, they won. And, and then part of that stagnancy, that 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 disintegration from within is that the, the destruction of the human spirit, of, because people didn't care, right? By the end of it, a lot of people were just, they just didn't care. And you could look around, uh, and this was again in the 1990s when things were still fresh. Mm-hmm. And you could look at all the stuff that was built during the Soviet era. It was all, A lot of it was just garbage. It was crumbling. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that nobody cared <laughs> for right. decades. And because they were all afraid, because if you actually cared, if you actually tried to achieve, you tried to do anything interesting or good or of any kind of quality, right, with any kind of merit, mm-hmm. um, you would you were considered uh, uh, it was like you're sticking your neck out, you're sticking your head up, you're, you're right. People would they would everyone around you would resent you for then mm-hmm. making making them look bad. Right. So there's this this culture of of. Um, Again, it all comes back to the fact that they feel like they're being watched, tracked, um, and we're moving there. And that's the sad thing is I think we're – I told them, look, guys, you're free now. You have democracy. You don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Like if you're going to have a democracy, if you're going to have a free country, right. you're going to have to be willing to debate things and be wrong about things and um, and figure it out and make mistakes and learn from them and continue growing, right? That's the adaptability of sort of the modern mm-hmm. – Western political system and all its various structures. There's all these checks and balances and all, and it's a bit messy, but that's kind of by design. Well, mm-hmm. now here we are, are we're, they're making a liar out of me because we're now installing these kind of same kind of cultural ideas of like, let's put everybody under surveillance. Let's track everything you said. And that thing you said 10 years ago, we're going right. to cancel your job tomorrow because of the mistake you made, you know, cause you, you made a bad joke. What? It's, it's well, really... we, you know, you've you've probably seen those videos with Yuri Bismenov, who defected yeah. to Canada, and then you know he made these videos, um, yeah. and he mentioned the de- the program to demoralize the United States, and by I think it was 1980, he said, well, it's done, the project is pretty much complete, and he was commenting on some of the things that had happened in the United States since the you know end of the Second World War. Really, they had pretty much started in earnest in the 50s, and he said it's pretty much complete, and. He talked about things like the destruction of our institutions, the family, uh, you know, the media, entertainment, um, you know, and so forth. And that like the last thing to go basically is the law. Like when the law goes like that's it. But as I look around at what's going on now and the creeping authoritarianism that, it, you know, yes, government is imposing it. But people are begging for it. It's not just that they're coming in strong arming us like Tiananmen Square. You've got people, and it's a sizable percentage, like pretty much close to half the population is saying things like, you know, uh, regulate me harder, daddy. (laughs) Well, right. What's that? They want this stuff. Well, it's fear, right? And part of it is like, yes, they're begging for it because they've been sold fear. They've been sold fear. There's always a war on something, right? And I always like to say a war on rhymes with moron, right? So when they call something. (laughs) I like that. That's good. Something like a war moron on drives us moron no, like because they're selling you something, right? That's uh, true. And, and uh and you know, so so people are fear. They feel, oh, someone's gonna for the children. Oh, we gotta protect the children, right? Like, and yes, yes, yes we do. But for the, the fact is that well, well, there have been a lot of authoritarian laws have been presented and 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 pushed because it'll protect the kids we got to protect against the terrorists we got to protect against the communists got to protect against you know uh, there's always a threat 
right? When people in government want more power and, and, and because they have the new way that they're going to make society better because everyone thinks they have the new utopian idea. And but you know what? I'm sorry. Sorry, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was just thinking when you said, you know, the children and protected children. And then I think, yeah. okay, here I am. And there's, you know, Moms for Liberty, parents yeah. depending at it, whatever we're saying, you know, the children are in, in danger, whether it's comprehensive sex ed or medicalizing the, you know, the gender mm -hmm. ideology and pushing it on them and so forth. And I think, you know, what's a little different now is that whoever's, whoever's behind you know the, the the propaganda that pushes this movement mm -hmm. on the on the side of the authoritarians they have figured us out in one respect us being parents or you know people who are concerned about children mm -hmm. that we don't want to be helicopter parents we don't want to we are mostly liberal minded we don't want to mm -hmm. be seen as bigots or racists or non-inclusive or haters mm -hmm. or anything so it's like they're preying on our desire to be good and nice and kind and empathetic. And they'll come along and sell us things as being good for our children or that the fear of the, our children not getting access to the thing we don't think is right. Like they're going to kill themselves if you don't. Well, yeah, it. that's, that's okay. That. So it's There's, like, yeah. you're afraid yeah, of that, but then they go, but they're going to commit suicide. So then you're going, uh, uh, you know, well, this or... is, there's, a, there's a bit of a word game going on here um, with a lot of the activism we see, and you know, um, and 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 a psychological game too, right? They they do this with um, again, they do this with the the uh, the, the gender ideology stuff. They say, well, if you, we don't give these kids everything they they want, and we don't give them this and that and the other thing right away without any questions asked, then they'll they'll uh, they'll they'll commit suicide, right? And and right. you know, and I not. Like I've I lost a number of friends in high school to suicide, um, so I don't take that particular threat very lightly. Um, right, of course not. And yeah. and well, you know, well, yeah. And but at the same time, going through those years, going through the growing up uh, from your you know middle school years and your your high school years and and even a bit younger, um, they are confusing, and kids do feel depressed because they're going through all kinds of crazy hormones, a lot of them, right? Which can have lots of psychological effects on you. You're confused. You feel alienated, even if you're not, right? Even if every kid in your class feels alienated, right? Doesn't feel good. Like, what was the one uh, we were talking about movies earlier, the Christian Slater one, Pump Up the Volume, remember? And then even the popular girl hated yeah, her life uh, and threw her yeah. threw all her her stuff in the microwave and turned it on and blew up her kitchen right like yeah exactly. you don't know what's going on inside the head of the other kid sitting across or sitting next to you in class and you think well i i hate my life and everything's horrible well they're probably they may be thinking the same thing but you in your mind and we have this 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 idea this because we don't live in anybody else's head we don't get to see what their thoughts are so it, it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of thinking well the grass is greener over there they're, they don't have, they don't know what my problems are. And actually they say this in, um, in training. I don't know. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say they say this in training as in the present tense, my, my training in, in, uh, and this is <clears throat> going back away. So I don't know what's current, but at least when I was trained, uh, briefly with, uh, with regards to people dealing with people who might be suicidal mm -hmm. is the first thing is to have them help them understand that they're not alone that that right. lots of people feel this way and that it's not 
you're not crazy. You're not, there's nothing wrong with you that people go through sometimes and we'll, we'll help you through. Um, but again, they, they, now they've weaponized this. They've turned it into like a threat so that parents are like, Oh, well, I'm not an expert in psychology. And this person with a PhD is telling me that they need to, uh, transition my kid or they need to do these things. And this is again, super, con uh, uh, contentious, super controversial right now. Um, lot, and I mean, I don't want to get too deep into that one. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you're right because, though, that they, hmm? Sorry, that they are saying to parents, you know, what, to your point, if parents were educated, that the most important thing is to be there for your child, your child is confused. Let your child know that it's normal to be confused. Let your child know that you're there for them through the confusion and they will come out of this on the other side, that tomorrow's another day that, you know, they just have to get through today. Like all these things that, you know, kids have a, a really hard time having a perspective in, in time and space. Mm -hmm. Like the, the moment right now is the most important thing in the world. They don't even really like remember much about yesterday unless it was bad and they yeah. don't have a picture of the future. I don't know how you were when you were a kid, but I, because of the threat of the nuclear annihilation, because of not really having a really solid family foundation to have as a role model, like I want that when I grow up. Right. You know, it's like mm -hmm. any kind of role modeling I had was from television. We were sort of like a TV generation. So I'd be like, I, I, like a little of this and a little of that, but I know that's not real. So I don't know. Is that realistic? So Thank I didn't. Thank God we had good TV though. <laughs> well, well, that's true. But I just didn't, it was like very murky. Okay. Well, what yeah. was murky for us, I have a feeling is like completely blank for them. They've been told the world's coming to an end in 12 years because of climate change. They've been told that the country is just terribly white supremacist. I really think we had a better handle. Um, on, on the plus side, I think we had a better handle of, of the past being not as good as the present, whether it was in terms of racism, whether it was in terms of how gay people were treated, whether it was, I mean, like, I remember homophobia when it was real. Like, yeah. when it was like every day kind of a deal, I remember. And now they talk about homophobia and I'm like, what? <laughs> and I, well, I shouldn't just, say that because okay, so I know I people have, still go through it, but you no, know what I mean? But, but I have a theory. Here's my, here's my theory on that. Um, so a lot of this uh, this social theory that's going around that the kids, millennials essentially and younger are being sort of <clears throat> indoctrinated with, uh, I think are coming from academics who were born in the 1950s. They're like we talked about, you know, being on the bookends of the, the Gen X generation. These right. are people on the younger bookend of the boom generation. Mm -hmm. um, like the, like the, 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 the Robin D'Angelo's and the Kimberly Crenshaw's both, I think born in the 1950s. Um, and they were busy <clears throat> getting their PhDs in the 1980s and, and then and working on their postdocs <coughs> in the 1990s. And they missed the huge cultural changes that happened when our generation was coming of age, because there was a p huge pivot in the 1990s. I mean, the crime rate peaked in 1991, right? Yeah, it was bad. And then it, started to fall and it and it's con continued to fall until well, obviously some protesting and COVID and all kinds of other stuff in the last few years have made a mess of that. But, but it was a pretty much a, even with economic ups and downs, the crime rate kept falling. And now there's lots of theories on why that was. Um, mm -hmm. But there was also huge cultural shifts. Like you said, you remember homophobia when it was real, right? When I mean, it's it was, all, I, I hope that doesn't no, no, come off like I'm saying no, it's no. not real, but you know what I mean? When it was like a daily. No, it was ubiquitous. Thing. It was, yeah, it, it was, was everywhere. It was, 
you know, and, and there was all of a sudden a major shift. And I would say it was a huge shift in the 1990s mm-hmm. that it was no longer okay to, to be mean to the gays. It was no longer okay to make racist jokes. Um, you know, at least not like maliciously, right? Like people still I did, sure. but, but it was, there was a tongue in cheek. There was like a camaraderie about it. Um, and there was a shift though, or to be openly racist. Like probably you remember it more than I would, but I still remember it when people, you know, in the, the eighties, there were still people who were open racism. I mean, there was lots of, there was also lots of gang wars in the eighties too. There was yeah. all kinds of stuff going on and, 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 and white supremacists like real, white supremacists yeah not, i remember not, them marching down the street in skokie that big trial and the supreme like, court the whole thing yeah the neo-nazis kkk all that that that's real white supremacy this this there's this kind of bs version of it that they talk about now that i think comes from a lot of um uh a race activist rhetoric where they just say all of society was built for this this group and everything is white supremacy and i think that's watering down the term and it's dangerous because it's these days it's a fringe ideology, but they're still around. Um, and yeah, I, and Buffalo. I yeah, exactly. Right. I um, mean, there you have people on the internet and they see stuff and, but when you, know, you call it, everything, when you call everything, yeah. what you're doing is you're almost giving cover to yeah. those actual extremists. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's very foolish and dangerous to do that. But um, anyway, there was this shift. And, and I think what happened was for us, right. Like we, we went through it. It was, we, it was our, our coming of age years as a generation. And then nine 11 happened and everyone, everything went crazy for a few years. Um, and then these, these academics started publishing and they were publishing uh, their theories, their social theories yeah, and their social and their activist ideologies. Excuse me. And, and they were publishing based on information and research and readings they'd done from the pre, from the, prior to the 1990s from the 80s 70s 60s and back and then they taught the next generation millennials who were college kids by that point um this is the way the world is right meanwhile there's this generation we're us sitting in the middle going wait a second that's that's no no like we 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 rejected that already what are you doing and i don't think that the 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 young boomers these this older academic generation was even really aware kind of like like i talked to like I, they've I been locked with, in academia for 20 years well like i, I like don't I, think they were aware no like like for, it's kind of like if you're you're either an academic with your head locked in the library or you're too busy raising your kids like i, I joke with my, my my parents about this one time and i said mention some song that was really popular in uh whatever <clears throat> 1980 and they were like i have no idea what was going on in 1980 i was like all right you were busy with small children at the time right uh, and same thing, friends of mine who have young kids right now, they have no idea what's going on in the world, uh, at least for those first number of years, same thing. So they had their heads down, buried in the sand, working on their ideas, their theories about the world, right? And <clears throat> and they missed huge cultural shifts, which were to the better. And now they're what they're doing, and they're teaching a version of the world that isn't real, um, or see, and this is where it gets you. Well, yes, but these things still exist, but they aren't the norm anymore. And that's the thing. They're no longer, they weren't, they were no longer acceptable. Um, nope. What is that noise? Is that me? 
No. It's. I think uh, it's my garage opening directly oh, okay. beneath me. No, no. Okay. I'm <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, so I'm, I, I'm sitting above my garage. <laughs> oh, that's that's a great space to have them. Um, but yeah, so the, these millennials now and 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 now Gen Z kids are being raised to believe that white supremacy is everywhere, that everybody's a racist, that um, all this stuff, and and you're just and it, if and those of us who went through the, that cultural shift look at it and we think this is crazy talk this is insane this is this is not real um this is this is uh you know yes there are still pockets of of racism there's still places where people carry backward beliefs there's still generation that's still alive today that that grew up in a world that was where it was okay to hate on the gays and and to to be racist and 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 they're they're retiring and expiring and and it's you know some of them are it's sad to see them go but at the same time that's their, that culture is, it's, they still exist, but their culture is no longer. Um, um, it, it's not. That culture is not dominant. And, no. and you know, I feel like if there's one thing that we and our parent, you know, like not our parents so much, but we and millennial parents even have done mm -hmm. and are doing a pretty good job of, and it could very well be because we didn't have a lot of parental supervision from the generation that was still racist and homophobic. Yeah. So we did, we, we had, you know, the, the plus side of being raised by the neighborhood or raised by, you know, like kind of like coming up with oh. entertainment. Look, we're I'm watching MTV. We're watching soul train. We're watching. I mean, I remember we're watching us like the, that world really did open us up to the idea that we're all the same inside, you know, like yeah. that we could enjoy entertainment I really credit with helping us go through that change much more than politics, much more than any policy that came into being or anything they taught us in school because they didn't. I remember this and something I'm telling people now about like curriculum. They're talking about, we're going to teach them this and teach them that. I'm like, guys, just leave the kids alone. First of all, you've got the most, the least homophobic generation in human history, the least racist gen generation in human history, just organically, just because their parents, we grew up in, in a time period where it's like all our heroes were like as diverse as they possibly could be mm -hmm. um, from entertainment, sports, you name it, whatever it was. We, we didn't, you know, you'd see race, but we didn't see race like our, maybe our parents or grandparents did. And so if you just no, we celebrated we celebrated difference and and treated people well, like like uh we treated people like everybody was a human being and that was that yeah. was the new met that was that was the new message for our generation. Yeah, the new message was kind mm -hmm. of like we're we have more in common than we are different. Yep. We I think that it, certainly I grew up one hundred percent believing in the melting pot. There was yep. absolutely nothing in my upbringing that that taught me any different than that. And so imagine my shock and surprise when I have children and they're starting, you know, I had to put them in public school and suddenly it's like, now America is a very racist place and this is happening. And I'm like, I'm sorry, do you live in a different country than I do? Like, where are you? What in the world are you talking about? Well, this and is part of indoctrination. I just feel so bizarre because mm -hmm. we didn't feel like that. Well, there, we didn't grow up like that. If you're told... If you, if you're told here, put on these blue tinted sun, these blue tinted glasses, right. and I, everything you see through those blue tinted glasses will look blue. We'll have a blue tint, That's right? True. So what's being done to the kids today by these educators, by these uh, activists? Now they're activist academics, right? And and to me, yeah. I th I think ac activism should never be. If, if you're an academic or a journalist or working in the law, 
especially right. the 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 activism and and bias should be something you avoid <laughs> as much as possible um in the school for sure sure um yeah. but their their activist view right they're projecting this this view of the world that predates 1989 right it's you know and i say 1989 because that's um uh isn't that the I, I think it's the same date same year for Kimberly, Kimberly Crenshaw's um intersectionality yes. but yes, also it is. Uh, um, yep. Peggy McIntosh's yep. knapsack of I think it was privilege. 87 but okay. it doesn't matter it's same thing these, these ideas right they came up with these in the 1980s which means they're based on a world that existed before that right so right. all of the world that existed up to that point was what inspired them to see to to come up with these ideas for looking at the world right right but then they're applying those things to a completely different world, right? right? Exactly. And that's the problem. So what they're doing is they're actually rekindling racism, <laughs> reinstalling yep. people, they're encouraging people to view each other through a racial lens or through a gender uh, ideology and all these other things. And, and, to, and to make it about those things, to make personality about those things, rather than seeing everybody as individuals, which is what we finally got right like exactly our, our parents generations they were still you know well we're methodists and they're baptists and they're catholics right they were still those were their identity groups and and yeah and, we didn't have that and and well those those people down the road they're italians and we don't you know and well they're irish <laughs> right so they had their identity politics right and and then we were like hey we're all individuals for like what 10 15 years finally we we achieved this yep. this culture of individuality and then people from the past started teaching the next the millennial generation identity politics again so we've gone back into this world where everybody's at each other's throats everybody's arguing everybody's bickering and people aren't realizing that they're all individual human beings first and foremost yeah and that to me is really sad um it's, because it's so sad it's like i feel like we finally had this great gift to give to our kids I mean, I really, I remember even thinking that I remember when I had my first daughter thinking, I'm really glad that I'm going to be able to bring up my children in a world where everybody just gets to be, you know, yeah. like it were, I mean, I really felt like, cause I remember being a kid and I even remember in personally experiencing some anti-Semitism directed at me. And I knew that there were, there's always latent racism. There's always latent homophobia. There's always, I knew these things were going to always be, there always are. Cause the there's bad ideas, a few people here and there and, and bad ideas take, be. well, and it takes time for old generations to die out. Right. And, and those, even when they do, it's what is the mainstream, right? Yeah. So like what I felt like was the mainstream idea was we're all essentially, you know, Americans, and then it was, it lasted this tiny, tiny, like it was like five minutes. I literally had this kid. She's two years old. We moved to North Carolina and right away I'm starting to see the political correctness stuff, political no. correctness, political correctness, political correctness. Like really, you know, this is when Bill Maher had his first sure. show politically, politically correct. Yeah. And I suddenly was like, wait a minute. I just, I just got excited about the fact that it was okay to, you know, Richard Pryor would go on stage and talk about white people and black people. And he did all sure. these things and we would all laugh. Like he made fun yeah. of white people. He made fun of black yeah. and same with George Carlin and all this kind of stuff. And I felt like, okay, we have finally arrived at a place where our biggest problems are political yeah, and not cultural. And then it didn't last. It didn't last. I, I wish I could figure out 
you know, you made the point of like 89, 90, you know, they published, they did these things, but that's still up in academia. Well, what here's the thing. What do you think happened? When in the 19, I don't know, uh, when in the 1990s, in the early 1990s, when I was an undergraduate or, or very early 90s, I remember there were all these new programs popping up on campuses and they were all like <clears throat> ended in the word studies. Uh, and they yeah. were like, yeah. uh, you know, for, I think it was women's studies. And then that became uh, eventually became gender studies later. But there was also like uh, cultural studies and post-colonial studies and all these and eventually, I think they got they and and they they said we're gonna we're gonna look at these previously marginalized or un, unexamined areas of of study and bring new light to them. And I remember thinking at the time, that's great. That sounds really interesting. How fascinating! That would be awesome. And instead of actually like instead of actually doing the research, uh, and not not that they haven't done any research, but a lot of them dove headlong into theory, into and I use the word theory, capital theory. Um, right. They they dove into um, sort of critical theory, critical consciousness. Um, the idea, and, and I don't mean critical thinking. Um, right. A lot of people make that mistake, and I, like I said earlier, there, there's this word um, bait and switch with words that that this sort of activist movement uses um so they call it critical theory or critical race theory or critical right. social justice or all these different critical right. and and what that means is is not um critical thinking but critique uh and i mean it's derived from philosophy it comes down and i don't want to get too into the details of it but my other right um field of study was was continental philosophy and phenomenology and postmodernism and all that uh, and i was so glad to be done Back in the night, in the nineties, I was like, "I'm oh, thank God I can put this away and never have to think of this crap again." But now right, I have exactly. to dredge it up because it's become this pop thing, this pop culture thing. Um, anyway, the the theory and it's what it is is it's subjective. So don't believe in anything. There's a, anything outside the mind can't be proven to exist. It's just like, well, how can you prove the thing that you're perceiving? What if your eyes are deceiving you? The the only thing you can know is what is in your own head. Right. And it's all very convoluted. But the point being, it's subjective, it's theory, it's yeah. uh, it and it and it's critique. So it becomes interpretive. Right. So we're going to interpret a TV show, a work of literature, a social situation, a political thing, um, an identity according to uh, our own perspective. So it could be an auto ethnographic um, right. perspective. Right. Like when I was a, a student, you, you weren't supposed to use the the first person in your writing, right? It was verboten. It was considered unprofessional. Now they're like, everybody uses the first person. In fact, they now have something called an autoethnographic uh, thesis where you can write about yourself. And and, and it's like... <clears throat> okay. Right? So that, <laughs> That's so interesting. Was, the academic world, and so it started, right, with these academics right. in the late 80s. It became, it became popular. These became like new programs. Uh, and I don't know... I, don't, I mean, I didn't attend every single university across North America and, and the world, but I would imagine if these were popping up on my campus, they were probably popping up in other campuses too. They were really popular at the time. And it's too bad that they didn't actually produce interesting um, illuminations of certain aspects of culture because that would have been interesting. Instead, what they right. kind of became was activist programs. They became the they act, activist indoctrination programs. And the, so they spent 
the next 30 years and this so 1990 to now is like 30 32 years so they spent right. the next several decades developing their own theories their own activist theories and those kids that started in those programs in the 1990s and early 2000s went on to work in media to become teachers to become right and so right, now we're exactly seeing, right we're seeing that wave of people who are educated to be activists and so they're yep. they're not teachers they're activist teachers they're not journalists they're activist journalists i mean even in the 1990s i at one point i actually had a uh, i was an entertainment journalist briefly and mm -hmm. you know an, a, a cultural column and went to Lollapalooza and got backstage and interviewed a bunch of bands and did all that stuff you know as a young person and and so i thought well maybe i'll go into journalism and even then i interviewed with uh with uh, a journalism program a couple programs one in particular um they asked me, said, what kind of journalist would you like to be? And I said, well, I don't know. I thought maybe, I mean, print is where it's at, but maybe television. And they were like, no, 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 you don't understand the question. I said, what do you mean? They said, what kind of journalist do you want to be? I said, what? And I said, I don't Like for I'm, real? They I'm, actually put it that way? They were like, like, do you want to be a neo-Marxist, a conservative, a neoliberal? A, like you have to pick your politics because that's Whoa. what you're going to get hired on the basis of right Whoa. and i was like i thought the whole point was to present news reporting in as dispassionate and as non-biased a manner as possible and they laughed and they said no 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 that's, that's no nobody does that anymore no you're gonna get hired on uh, to be the conservative or the marxist or the neoliberal or whatever and represent that viewpoint which is why can so much news reporting even within an organization can be wow. so polarized because the stories aren't being presented in as fair and balanced and, and object. They don't believe in objectivity, they, right? Objectivity. I don't know if you've noticed this, but anytime someone says, well, be objective, <laughs> they say, oh, that's impossible. Nobody's objective. Everybody's biased. And I always, I feel like it, it's, it's, it's this weird temper tantrum, intellectual temper tantrum they've had where it's like, okay, yes, philosophically. And yes, it's true. Philosophically, you cannot be a hundred percent purely objective. You cannot right. know a hundred percent that something is a fact um, because you're trapped in your own subjective viewpoint. <clears throat> right? right. But it's like, they said, well, if we can't a hundred percent be a hundred percent sure, then throw it all away. Forget it all. We're just going to be as subjective as possible and be as biased as possible and be activists all day long. And it's like, well, wow. instead of saying, well, look, maybe we can't achieve a hundred percent perfection of objectivity, but maybe sure. that's like an unachievable ideal that we hold up in the distance and try our best to get as close to that as like, possible. Like try. Right? Like, um, you know? so I, I take the view that your journalism, the quality of journalism, of your journalism or your academic work is directly proportional to your ability to be as objective as possible. That's my view. That is not currently the popular view um, in academia or media. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that. <laughs> that, 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 that. So that's almost that's 30 years ago that they laughed me out of their office for and and they and they said like it's that's this is the new way which explains so much of the polarization so we've had 30 yeah. years of polarized media and look where we are right exactly where nobody yeah. trusts anybody nobody trusts any media everybody's accusing everybody of spin because everybody's engaging in spin because they've all become activists and there's no and oh professionalism is another dirty word being professional well that's just white supremacist code or some 
nonsense like that now like so do you ever do you ever ask people like so are you literally saying we should be unprofessional like what's if you if being professional is white supremacist <laughs> then are we supposed to be un, like what are we well, supposed to be i don't know where that one comes from i think it may have something to do with hair uh frankly <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> hair yeah like uh i think back in the 80s or at some point, or maybe there was like some old people who owned a business somewhere complained that somebody had um, dreadlocks, <clears throat> right? Oh and gosh. they said that, that it's not professional and they wanted them to get a haircut and show up. You know, me, I'm the old get a haircut and get a real job, right? Which is something everybody had to deal with back in the yeah. 80s, for, prior to the 1990s. It wasn't until really the last decade or so that you could have different colored hair. That's um, true. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, it wasn't like. It wasn't racialized. No. Um, I mean, I had to wear stockings to work and I had to wear my hair certain ways. And I mean, not like a style per se, but it had to be, you know, well-groomed and combed. And, you know, there's certain things like you couldn't just have like crazy It couldn't hair. be a, a funny color and it couldn't be in a, mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a style that was, wasn't, and that was for everybody, right? Yeah. That was very true. Yep. But again, this is this idea that if you've been told that everything is racism or sexism, then right. you'll see everything as racism or sexism, right? That's um, true. I think it was it was uh, actually the opening. Carrie Smith um, did a uh, uh, an interview on, on Trigger Trigger Pod Trigger Trigonometry Trigonometry, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the opening, and I, I try to recommend people do this. Like, watch the whole thing if you have the time for it. It's a great interview. Um, but the opening clip, it's like nine seconds long. If you don't have time, watch just just find that. Watch the first nine seconds, and what she says about it, it's like putting on glasses and looking for the racism. And then, and I think of that quite often because that's really what it is. You've got these 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 glasses on, and someone's mean to you. Well, it must be sexism or racism because that's how you're going to interpret everything, right? Exactly. So someone gave you a hard time about your hairstyle. Well, then so that's white supremacy, right? Because you've been told exactly. the whole world is uh, is. <clears throat> some kind of you know supremacist thing it's like it's it's exhausting that to think that people go through every day walking around the world interacting with each other with people believing exactly. that they're that they're oppressed or that someone's their oppressor and that there's power dynamics going on when the fact is <coughs> most people especially in pretty much over 18 Nobody has any power over anyone. Like I get this all no. the time on Twitter. I get this like white male. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, people post my own photo at me and say poster child, poster boy for white supremacy. I'm like, get lost. Um, <laughs> and, You're like, I don't have that power, but thanks. Yeah, you know? and like misogyny and <clears throat> patriarchy and all this nonsense. And I'm like, blah blah blah. Most okay. So most of my most of my life, including the jobs I had in high school. Right, like working at Pizza Hut, <laughs> putting the yep. pepperonis on the pizza and dishes, and I did dish pit. I did all these crappy jobs, um, and then working as a in the entertainment industry, survival jobs that I had. Working, I worked at a furniture store for years. Um, did we did the bartending and <clears throat> waiting tables and all that stuff. Almost all of my bosses, managers, and employers. And the gatekeepers for my career have been women. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm like, so when I hear this, like, 
male dominated, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I'm like, yeah, sorry. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe there was a difference between early Gen X and younger Gen X, but at least my experience um, coming of age in the 1990s and beyond is that uh, most of my career, most of my, almost all of my jobs have always been with women in positions of power. Um, mm-hmm. So the idea in a social situation or a business situation or a professional situation that I have power? No, I, sorry. I know, um, right? But it, it's, it's the it, It's, and, and the thing is, like I said, you know, I, I look back at when we were kids and I, and I know there's mm-hmm. like a distance between us as far as like almost sure. a decade, but it's still, we're, we're, Gen X is like, I think I've read it's we're the smallest generation and in both in terms of length of time and even how many people are in it. Yeah. But I think the uniformity of our experience culturally um, sets us apart or I shouldn't say sets us apart, makes us more like the prior generations, even though we had some cutting edge stuff that happened like the end, end of overt racism and homophobia, like, um, you know, we did have the identity thing coming in because of the latchkey kid thing. But the generations that have come after us, I think um, there is more difference, I think, between someone born in like 2000 than in someone born in 2010. There, there's like there is a that that's you you wouldn't think there would be. But there when I meet these people and I or even in my my own children. You know, 2003 yeah. and then 2008. And I'm like, they're already have a different perspective because my eldest remembers um, certain things that my youngest is like completely oblivious to. And what they've do- gotten better at lately, I think, is memory holding things. So with all of the information coming at us, they've been able to better memory hole the past, not just the distant past, but the recent past. So where if something happened when we were kids, even the prior year or two years before or three years before or whatever, we've you know like challenger explosion. Let's just take that as an example. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't over and done with six weeks later. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, or even yeah, um, the turnover, when, the cultural turnover of information is so fast now. It's so, it's quick. so fast. So like yeah. we had a, a longer period of time to cope with things, understand things, um, you know, kind of think about them, talk about them, figured out i feel like there's a rush to make sense of the 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 nonsensical the random the chaotic the scary while at the same time we have more ability to have it shoved in our face 24 7 you know it's like and of course if it leads it leads what's that Bo Burnham uh, song and welcome to the internet a little bit of everything all the time isn't that uh, yeah it's it's i've heard that and and i just feel like it's got to be so i feel like one of the things that we in our generation don't necessarily understand about this one is what that feels like. I find myself looking at these kids and all I can do is feel like horrified. You know, like I remember how awkward it was to be, you know, a preteen and a teenager. I remember all the things coming at us and all that. And I think, okay, take the 11 to 16 year old me and stick me today with boom, 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 and TikTok and Tumblr and this and that and the other. Well, it's information. I don't know. I made it made it out alive. To be honest, I don't know. I, I think one thing we had that maybe isn't really being, I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe they they know it instinctively. It's hard to tell. Um, is that we we knew that there were a lot of fads, right? And we yeah. would often write things off as fads. And I think that's what's happening now to a lot with a lot of what's going on with TikTok. I mean, it was it was 
first it was Facebook. Then everybody's grandma was on Facebook. So nobody on Facebook anymore. And, and then, and then it was Twitter and then it was uh, Snapchat and then it was, now it's TikTok and, and oh, well, Vine it was before there was TikTok. There was Vine. Let's not forget that Vines. Right. Um, uh, you know, in our, back in our day, uh, you know, <laughs> You know, we Back called these we called these things fads, right? They were fads. They were the latest thing, mm-hmm. the latest craze, <clears throat> and they came and went. Um, so it's yeah. not that different, <clears throat> although it is faster. And like you said, the memory hole things so quickly, as if mm-hmm. like, and it feels like, oh well, that happened two weeks ago, but it feels like it was ten years ago. Um, exactly. There's actually an interesting book by an author, and I found it randomly in, I want to say. I think it was was it eighth or ninth grade i found this randomly in the school library and it's a book called future shock by alvin toffler and it oh and it yeah I, i've heard of that book uh-huh. and he talks about how like everything's getting faster and fast cultural changes are happening faster and faster and eventually cultural change will be happening so fast that we'll just become completely disoriented from oh everything and there'll be yep. no continuity and i and i feel like that's possibly one of the issues that we're facing right now is that there's so many cultural niches and then yeah. there's so much sort of siloing of information, right? Uh, politically, like, right. well, we're Republicans, so we only watch Fox News and and uh, uh, <clears throat> and read Breitbart. And uh, <clears throat> well, we're you know this, and we only watch CNBC. And then they have completely different versions of reality. Or or I'm part of the you know the LGBT community, therefore I only you know I'm interested in this things. And and the people who live like that, who live differently. Uh, who are moose hunters in Alaska, not that they couldn't have LGBTQ moose hunters in Alaska, but you know, just people are, have become, I think there's this fragmentation. And one thing that we had that they don't have right now is I think cultural hubs. Um, And this is a sort of a weird, like a, uh, people make fun of it, but some of us complain. They're like, well, when MTV stopped playing music videos, Right. Right. And they switched to reality TV, which, by the way, most of it is fake. Um, I was. Yeah, saying, we, we know that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> At least. Know that. <clears throat> I know. Can you believe not knowing that? I, I can't imagine well, not knowing kid, that. You know, if you're a kid growing up watching MTV and reality TV shows and nobody's True. telling you it's fake, right? You'll just think it's real. Um, True. Good point. So. So anyway, there's this fragmentation um, and we had the, the at least we had these cultural hubs where everybody would be like aware of the new thing was going on. And our our activists back in the 90s were musicians. Right. They were, you know, and eventually they got annoying. Like everybody complains about Bono, remember? <laughs> like, yes. Right. Well, but when he first started being an activist, it wasn't that bad. It was only when he like just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing. And I think maybe that's why the corporations said, look, we're shutting down MTV. We're going to put this reality crap on there and it'll shut the musicians up. Right. I don't know. Right. Maybe, maybe that's conspiracy maybe. theory, but, but like, or maybe they just, I, 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 I really wish I did understand why suddenly we started like wanting to watch other people live their lives. But it, I mean, it certainly took off. Whoever invented it uh, well, understood that. There were a couple of writers. I, I, there were some strikes, some writers and actors strikes in the early, early, early 2000s. Late. Mm-hmm. And I remember being offered jobs in Los Angeles to be a writer on a reality TV show. Mm-hmm. On an uns- to be a writer on an unscripted, to be a writer on an unscripted show, right? So I would have to sign an NDA and never admit to being a writer 
on an unscripted show. Right. A writer. Right. On an and so you, show. You, you see the credits mm-hmm. and they said like 16 producers and no writers. Right. Because at the time, I, you know, I was a non-union. I wasn't in the Writers Guild. And, and so I was a young right. writer. And they were like, oh, you should come work. You know, you're, you're we like your writing. You should come work. And, and so like you're coming up with scenarios. You're coming up with dramatic moments. And, and half the people on a lot of these shows, at least back then, a lot of them were just out of work actors dropping out of SAG and after. So they could, because their, their managers were like, you need to, at the time they thought, well, if you could at least ex- get exposure, right? right? Maybe that'll help launch your acting career, right? right. Um, and didn't work for most. Uh, yeah. um, you know, now I think, now they're telling them they got to go become YouTube influencers to start their acting careers or some <laughs> crap. But, or maybe it's TikTok now. I don't know. Anyway, um, <coughs> but like, it's so fake. Um, and, and it's very, again, it's contrived, but I think a lot of those shows sprung up because they were cheap to produce. Um, they were, they, they satisfied our, our nosy, gossipy, tabloid reading um, aspect of our, that's the, the, the crappy part of our human nature is to be nosy and gossipy about other people. Um, yep. And so it appeals to everybody. So remember that one of the first big show was Big Brother, right? Like that was one of the first big shows. Yes. Yep. So, so it keys into our, this idea, our weird little nosy envy, uh, the parts of our person, of our human nature that we really um, shouldn't be very proud of. Remember before all this, before reality TV came out and tabloid was the dirty word. That's right. True. Right yeah. now, nobody talked to mention tabloid. People are kind of, I'd say millennials. I don't know. Like, I don't No, that's a really, really good observation. Like, I, as you mentioned it, I think when I was growing up, it was there were certain things that were tab that were still taboo that I really wish had stayed taboo. Um, one of them was, you know, talking about other people, like publicly talking about or gossiping about other people's private lives. Uh-huh. That's not to say that people didn't do it. It was just one of those things that you knew you weren't supposed to be doing. You did it behind closed doors. You did it very privately. And it would have been considered the gr- most shameful thing in the world if it were found out that you were doing it. It's definitely yeah. not something you would have relished in. Like gossip it would be. Was, it, gossip was a bad thing. Gossip was. Yeah, it was now, seen, now everybody it, just posts it to their social media. Yeah, it was <laughs> seen as. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. It was seen as being this unseemly thing that you would, that you would gossip. It was something that middle school girls did. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, even in entertainment, I think they did a good job of capturing the dark side of it. We had movies that showed even boy before Mean Girls. Okay, you had the Heather's, and you had mm-hmm. movies like that where they depicted. The, the popular girls who did a lot of gossip and who were mean and were picked people apart for their appearance and wanted to cancel someone out of the social circle. Like we're going to make it so no one wants to date you and all that. The, we all knew they were the bad people. Like yeah. that was like, they're the bad guys. And, and what always cracked me up is how nobody ever, even the people who were those people never identified with those people always cracked me up. It was like, aren't yeah. they terrible? I'm like you are those people. <laughs> so, well, and then of now, course those people grew up and became the PTA moms. So well, and, and now they've weaponized it. And you're, if you are gossip about other people's business and, and they, and you're going to get them outed for doing some bad thing or some embarrassing thing or something that should make them a social pariah. Well, that now you're, enacting social justice you're a social justice warrior exactly right? now so yeah now good, it's you're the good it's, guy exactly the people who gossip 
more effectively or who yeah. get the narrative out there first, even if it's a total lie, yeah. they can win the day. And it seems like somewhere between 1990 and 2000, let's say 10, the truth died. It just died. And it was, I, I think it was kind of a life support starting in the 2000s, but it really, and, I, and honestly, I give Bill Clinton a lot of credit for making truth optional. But I mean, I know that there are other people who disagree with me, but the, you know, the guy, the guy flagrantly lied and was like, but we like him because he's Bill Clinton, you know? And I'm like, I'm sorry, he's the president of the United States. And he did something really egregious. And we know that he lied. He perjured himself, he did, you know, and y'all yeah. are just like, you know, well, part of that was, I think, was it, was it, who was, was it Gingrich? Yeah. Gingrich was in the contract no, with America. And with, no, but wasn't he, Clinton. he was in the middle of, he was the one impeaching Clinton, wasn't he? Uh, well, over that, I, over the lie. I think, I think they saw something about here's Yeah. And then meanwhile, he worked with Clinton on the welfare reform and stuff, but I don't know. I don't remember about the impeachment. I think he was directly involved in that. And people were, and someone made the comment. They said, yeah, the whole time he was making a, a big stink about Bill Clinton lying about his affair. Gingrich was having an affair himself. Right. And right. so like, you're like, everybody's a hypocrite. Um, you know, right. So, yeah, we, we, and there were some, a couple of really prominent, um, you know, clergy mm -hmm. members who were outed as having, um, what was that guy? Jimmy Swaggart. Remember that oh. he was caught in a hotel room. And then there was yeah. the guy with Tammy Faye, the bakers, the bakers. and they're swindling and all that. It, it's almost yeah. like everybody's dirty laundry. I, I really don't remember growing up in the eighties. I don't remember dirty laundry being everyday fair. Like you said, tabloid was a dirty word. If you yeah. went into the grocery store and they had like this, the star yeah. and the news the of the world and the yeah. inquiry, that was like, and then there was the one know, with bat boy. Remember bat boy? Yeah. Right. Um, but that was like one. trashy stuff. Yeah. Like nobody well, legit read that. Well, so tabloids, tabloids were trash. They were like of the, of the news, there was news journalism and then there was tabloids, right? And right. then social media came along and everyone had their own tabloid. Everyone had their own Facebook page. Everyone had their own website and everybody could spread gossip and say whatever they wanted. So then the news journalists and then some real actual scoops started happening. Real scoops started happening in the, in the online world. And of course the yeah. tabloid people who were, would play it a little fast and loose with their ethics we're able to get stuff out faster yeah. than the news journalists. So then news journalists, uh, like actual news organizations were competing, trying to get, the, trying to get their stories out first because it was a, who could get the story out first. Right. Right. And so then exactly. they weren't, they weren't checking their facts as carefully. They weren't. So the quality of journalism just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped because it had to come out right away, right away. Or, Hey, what's the, the old line uh, the, a lie has traveled all, around, all the way around the world before the truth has even got its shoes on yeah well, that's shoes, true yeah that's so true and yep. and that's it right it's so i don't know if so much the truth died but so much as what a nobody had time for it because everything right. came had to be this right so quick but also there's this this subjectivist theory which goes yeah. back to what i talked about in academia and in journalism is that, well, we don't believe in objectivity. We don't believe in truth. What do you mean by truth? Your truth or my truth, right? And Oh, my God. Yeah, right? I know. And then they're doing it today. I'm my honest, truth, your truth. My truth, right? Well, so then everybody's basically, uh, their opinions are valid. Well, what are we <clears throat> even talking about anymore?
So not only is so again, what this has done is it, it breaks down our when the focus has been shifted away from well, what are the what are the facts? What are what's the data, right? Like what's the can we gather some societal information and do some wide studies on what's going on now? Right. right. Why is so much of this, the studies with like these, and you, excuse me, you see like a lot of meta analyses. I see a lot of these be coming out and they're studies that you look at the dates on them and they're pulling on previous studies that are actually pulling on previous studies. And you kind of like, okay, a lot of this information is now decades old, but then it's right. been published in 2022 as though it's a recent thing. And it's a meta analysis of the last, and I'm like, yeah, well, that's great because, you know, I don't think a study of people and their relationships in their early 20s from in 2022, uh, if you're claiming this is the culture, should be right. pulling data from the 1970s and 80s. Right. Right. Because it's very exactly. culturally, very different generations. Um, exactly. And. And, and so and they do it, though, and, and they're doing it even with the social emotional learning stuff. They're pulling data from 2011. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you can't. You, it's it's Things a different world already. So yeah, Things are changing so fast. And so, what the things they're doing are also relatively extreme. I shouldn't say relatively extreme. That sounds weird. But they're compared to, um, for example, when I started in public school in fourth grade, and then I left public school after ninth grade, there was zero change. I mean, I can confidently say that there was zero change between how they taught the subjects and what they were doing in school from the time I entered fourth grade until I left ninth grade in terms of like what was how the teachers taught. We sat in rows at desks. The teacher was at the front of the room. Yeah. You know, you had textbooks. It, there wasn't a period of time where suddenly it was like, and now we're not using books anymore. You know, I mean, so but what I've seen in the last 10 years in schooling and I, you know, even in. Uh, higher education is monumental change. Somebody could have entered kindergarten and then by the time they leave in high school, it's like a completely different institution yeah. and they're doing it all the time. It's not like, well, we just, I just happened to have caught them in the middle of big change. The difference between last year and this year, the year before and the year before that huge, huge differences. And these kids, they're not just adapting to being in a new grade. They're not just adapting to being a new age. They're not just adapting to everything going on in their lives. They will come back to school in the fall, leaving COVID out of it. They come back to school in the fall. And it's like, what is school now? <laughs> because well, they keep changing it. This is, this is not, again, the, you know, we talked about things happening bottom up or organically versus sort of things that are contrived. And, and part of this is that in the education sector, there's so much activism now among yeah. teachers and people who plan curriculum and education boards and, you know, at multiple levels of govern government. Sure. And, and so these changes are these fundamental shifts. A lot of it is that there's, they're ideological. They're, they're based on ideas <clears throat> about what they think needs to be taught, needs to be the focus. And and you see people complaining yeah. about it. There's a lot of lot going on right now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, hard not yeah. to notice. Yeah, uh, I'm one of those people complaining. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like parents are saying, hey, wait a second. Um, I think we, we touched on this briefly yesterday um, when we were chatting, talking about how, uh, you know, I think that there have been two silver linings. I mean, I know a lot of people on the sort of, sort of the, the, the Democrats, uh, the Democratic to the end of the left, the more liberal side and over to the progressives and socialists, everybody, 
on that right. side of the lost their minds when uh, Donald Trump got elected. And, and yeah. I said, like, I was not a fan of him. I, I don't have a whole lot of good things to say about him. Um, and that's fine. But there's a silver lining here um, is that when he got elected, people, a lot of the people pushing a lot of this ideology kind of lost their minds and they kind of yeah, tipped did. their cards and, and, and became almost forceful um, about their ideological <coughs> ideas. Um, and like he became this boogeyman for them and they just went crazy. And then I think the second sil- cloud with a silver lining is this COVID situation for the last two years, because parents were able with zoom class, parents were finally able to hear what the teachers were teaching to their kids. And they're like, yep. wait a second. There's some of this stuff that they're downloading into my kid's brain. It is very political um, yep. and very yep. qu- questionable. A lot of it um, at the very least contentious uh, and, and, and worthy of discussion and debate before they make it official policy. And, 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 and to, and almost to the detriment of learning math and history yeah. and geography and science, like learning. Well, definitely. Actual, yeah. Right. Cause they're spending all this time on ideology and the kids aren't learning their actual school subjects. They're spending um, a lot of time in, in emotions too. And, and yeah. one thing that I can, I'm also thinking back, you know, to when we were kids and tell me if it was different for you, but I don't remember any of my teachers asking me how I was feeling like, you know, like inside of myself or like if I was having trouble at home or if like my got along with my parents, whatever. And I'll be honest with you. I'm so glad they didn't because I would have been creepy. That would have been really, it would have been so creepy. I would not have liked it. And there, and when I hear adults today who are, again, they're, they're, they're our vintage. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there were, you know, some of them in their twenties, right. But the ones who are directing all of this, Mm -hmm. saying it's necessary, proclaiming that it's, you know, we're bad, oppressive people. If we don't allow it, they grew up in the same world we grew up in. And I'm like, Hey, did you forget? Did they, maybe they felt neglected by their parents. So now they're overcompensating by being that's too, what I'm saying. too pushy. Yeah. I feel like they're projecting mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff onto these kids, like what they would have wanted or what they, or maybe they're jealous of today's kid. I don't, I can't figure it out. May, I think maybe I, it is what they, maybe some of them uh, felt left out and felt maybe they needed more attention when they were younger and they didn't get the attention they wanted. So now right. they're going to make sure that every kid gets constant total attention and to the point of obnoxious behavior by the adults. I mean, right. there's this whole thing about like knowing your teacher's personal life. I think I've, I've seen people complaining about that. And then, and I'm like, Ooh. when we went through school, we didn't like, I knew there was, there were two teachers at different high schools who had the same last name. And eventually we figured out that they were married. Right. And that's about, <laughs> that's about as much as we knew about exactly. the teachers. Right. And like exactly, <coughs> and that's that's it, right? Um, nowadays they got these teachers telling their students about their, you know, their personal lives and their their sexual orientations and all this stuff, and it's like, okay, like you're you're they're great, they're third graders, you know, like shut up, <laughs> do your job, exactly. teach them math, uh, don't be talking about whatever you do on your private time, yeah. um, with you know with the the eight-year-olds it's inappropriate well okay so i mean just a couple more questions i want to ask before we wrap up but 
when when you were growing up and I, you know, if it's too personal, you don't have to answer, but mm-hmm. like a lot of us in our generation didn't have awesome relationships with our parents. I mean, it doesn't mean they were awful. Maybe they were, you know, they were fine or they were okay, but it wasn't like, um, you know, we, we were, we didn't necessarily have the, like the close knit father knows best kind of families. Most, mm-hmm. most people growing up in our generation. So, um, but I still feel like I had the expectation. I didn't have the expectation necessarily that I was supposed to meaning, um, even though I could look around and see that other kids had more close-knit families or that they didn't have divorced parents, something about my expectations were, was like that, you know, life isn't supposed to be a bowl of cherries. Like I just had a general, whether it was my family life or, you know, how, how much stuff I had, you know, whether it was material things. And I mean, granted, I had a pretty nice life. I didn't, I didn't want for a lot of necessities, but at the same time, there was always somebody who had more. And there was always somebody prettier and there was always somebody smarter. And there was, you know, I was picked on, I was bullied, but I didn't feel like this made me special or this made that I, I somehow instinctively knew that I wasn't alone about like that, you know, even you feel alone in the moment, but it was like, yeah, other people get bullied. I feel like today there is this emphasis on the only emphasis on the individual is on making sure each individual knows how uniquely victimized they are. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that's and that's a good way of putting it. You, I was, gonna say, I thought you were going to say how unique they are, and then when you added the second part, uniquely victimized there, and that's really the that's probably the big problem right now is that everybody's being taught that they're all victims, and everybody's in this competition to be a victim because being a victim makes you safe, right? If you're a victim, then you get safety, you get resources, you get someone to hold your hand, you get sympathy. Uh, you get excused when you behave badly. Oh, well, you know, they're just a victim. They've been hurt in other ways. So of course we're going to, we're going to treat them with kid gloves because you know, they're, they're just, they're hurt, you know, and they're just lashing out because of the hurt that they've experienced. Right. So it's like the last thing I wanted to be perceived as. Well, that the problem is like when you teach kids, um, Tell them, well, you're privileged in this way and you're this and that and you blame them for that, this, that and the other thing because of their identity groups, right? Not because yeah, yeah. of who they are, not because of anything they ever did. Yeah, a yeah, lot right. of them are going to jump on to, well, can I be a different identity? And one that's not. Seems like an easy way out, doesn't it? Right. In, so, in a way. So instead of like instead of the the millennial, young millennials who would just, who were, would, you know, the cutters, remember them? Um, yeah who would just sit there and be angry about how much like our generation, like we, our slogans were like, life sucks, wear a helmet, right? Like, like, yes. just like, like <laughs> reality bites. Yeah. Life yeah. Sucks, life wear a helmet. Sucks. Right. We all knew it. Right. And we all said it to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, life sucks. What can you do about we it? We right? complained like, plenty. We definitely sure. did. Some looking back but, at some of the movies, definitely complained. But we had gallows solidarity. We were like, yeah, it sucks. <clears throat> Being young, growing up, it sucks. Like, um, you know, yeah, my town is basically the town from Footloose, right? It's no fun. There's nothing to do. You're you're not allowed to dance, you know. Um, <clears throat> they're banned skateboarding. They hate everybody. They, all the all, all the fogies hate everybody. Every, everybody young, and you know. So at least we had that. Whereas now kids are told, some kids are told, "Well, you're born a victim." Other kids are told, "You're born an oppressor," right? It undermines all of their senses of self because they're applying these labels to them, not based on who they are. They don't even know who they are yet, but they're being told you're this, you're that, and you're all these other things. 
right. you should have feelings about those things. And, and then, but, but if you hurt, if you're harmed, if you're a victim, we have so much resources for you, right? We have gobs and gobs and gobs of sympathy and someone to hold your hand and pat you in the hand and make you feel real good. Oh, and here's God, some let, pills. Let, yeah, let me have that. Um, let me have all, all these resources to help me out because I'm a victim. Yeah. So, of course, it, they're basically incentivizing victimhood now. And, yeah. and, and it sucks because there are kids out there who are having problems, um, who have real issues, and those resources should be going to them. Right. But when they've put these colored glasses, these tinted kaleidoscope glasses, forget tinted kaleidoscope, like, like onto every kid the, with this sort of identity politics um, yeah. and this, this sort of um, intersectional victimhood, right? That, well, there are all your different layers of victimhood and, and here are all your different layers of oppression. And these people are pressing right. you this way. And that person is microaggressing you and they're just looking for it everywhere. Right. Uh, like I said, watch that. The first nine seconds of Carrie's thing. Um, and, uh, uh, of course, finish watching this one first. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, no, I mean, when you're, when, what's, what's the expression? When all you have is a hammer, everything looks Everything's like a nail. In, exactly. Right? So, but I feel like they're they're they are running around trying to sell solutions. So they're like making up their solutions and social problems. They keep they, and every time they say, well, you know, the, the children have to do this and they have to find themselves on these. But and I always want to say, why? Why do they have to? How does this benefit them? Well, then they'll be critically conscious and then they can fix it. And I'm like, they're children. I well, would, nobody came to me when I was 11 and said, fix the world be an activist to fix the world. And if they had, I, I well, I'm just really glad they didn't we, because we that was not a thing I wanted to take on. We learned to compost. That was what we learned. That was our uh, activism they taught. They taught us yeah. a few years mine later. Was, like, mine was just turn off the lights and like, don't let the water run while you brush your teeth. That was, well, that was, and recycling became a new thing. So that was important, but yeah. it was, you know, we were still putting baby oil on our bodies and lying out in the sun and, and <laughs> to get the better tan with the tin foil. Um, right. Yeah. Sit with the yeah. tin foil. So yeah, like things George were, Hamilton. Yeah. things were, Oh my God, things were so different, but all right, let me ask you last question being that sure. you're, you're, that you're a writer you're like, you like historical fiction and also you're in the film business. Okay. Yeah. If, if a kid today, let's say a 13, 14 year old said, all right, I really want to better understand you Gen Xers, because you keep saying that like your life was so different and America was so different when you're, well, I don't get it. What do you mean it was so different? Can, can you pick like, I don't know, a couple movies or a book or something? Like, what would you say? You know what? Go consume this popular culture and you'll probably get a better sense of what we're about. What would you pick? Oh God, I, these are the worst questions for me because I always blank. <laughs> I always blank on like, <clears throat> like in, in my head, there's like all these movies, uh, Flying you can rapid fire them. I don't care, but like no, no, no. Like, you they're, know, they're going so fast that I can't pick them out of the. It's like you know the you know the airport, the little in the old yeah. clickers that used to. Yes, and I'm I'm like, what movies to understand? Hmm. Like, I would say comedies, like, like when we could when people were because our Gen X is known. Hmm. 
We're known for Think being of a police academy. Well, police academy, but I was also going to say, what was that movie? Uh, um, like, I just rewatched uh, "Gonna Get You, Sucker." I'm gonna get you. Oh sucker, yeah, that's a great uh, the one. The night. That's a fantastic one. And in fact, like, uh, and it speaks to a lot of stuff today because, like, remember, there's that he goes to see the the they're not the Black Panthers, but the the spoof of right and like the guy yeah right comes out exactly and his, the, the fake his, panthers then his little kids come out and they're these little blonde hair boy and they're like talking about history of abraham lincoln and they're like once upon a time there was a piece of cool white trash maybe you know and like and and, and, and like people laughed right Pe- people could still laugh at this stuff and they were making some social commentary but they were also poking fun at some social commentary right and yeah. so there was still a sense of humor. Yeah, political correctness existed in the 1990s, and it's kind of gone out out of hand. It's become everybody's afraid of everything now, um, and 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 afraid of saying the wrong thing and making a mistake and having your career canceled and and you'll never work in this town again. Blah blah blah. Right. Um, right. But uh, no, and and like remember that movie was it White Chicks? I remember. Yeah, that was pretty funny right? too. Like that was funny. So there was there was humor. Um, Even in and, Living Color on TV. Oh, those the Wayans were, brothers. Oh, the, yeah, because, yeah, the Wayans brothers. And uh, wasn't, like, Jim Carrey one of their regulars? Yeah, he was and, one of the people. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Lopez, wasn't she one of the dancers on that? Was she a fly she girl? Might have, I think she, she might was a fly have girl. Been. So, like, there was so much cultural intermixing and mingling, and everybody was sharing culture and riffing off each other and creating new things and remixes from each other. So this whole, like weird racial divide that's going on right now and and not just racial divide but like gender divide and sexuality divide and everybody breaking off into their own little camps that that's like almost the antithesis in fact to me that's not culture like they're like no this is our culture and it will become sacred and i'm like well then it's dead because if it's not if it's not alive and it's not growing and evolving then it's history mm-hmm. right and history's great and interesting but it's dead it's once you set it in stone, it's it's a set it in a call it a tombstone because that's what it is. So um, every culture that exists today is a combination of many cultures that came before it um, over thousands of years. Right. Like it's always evolving. It's always changing. Right. And we're always learning from I mean, people talk about music. Right. Well, where does rock music come from? And, and some people say, well, it comes from the blues and they say, well, the, the blues, where does it come from? What it, multiple influences. Right. Because there's yeah. there's old folk music from Europe. There's sea shanties and everybody's trying to claim it as their own. The reality is most of the culture we have today is a comp- same thing with recipes, right? Like, oh, well, we yeah. can't culturally appropriate the tomato because, uh, oops, the Italians, most of Italian cuisine, like, I mean, the tomato came from what, South America and the noodle from China. So, yeah. <laughs> so those darn yeah. Italians, These right? things were brought to those places too. Through yeah. international trade, same with spices. Like well, food was pretty dang bland in uh, in Europe until they got Marco Polo and you know start bringing stuff back. So I mean, well, centuries and centuries and centuries, and and same thing. Even the you know there's there's multiple indigenous peoples in North America who existed prior to European contact. They evolved. They had cultures that changed. So the whole world over, they I weren't mean, very nice to each other either. Like, it wasn't no. like they were all just living in like perfect harmony until the Europeans showed up. Well, and and not to mention the Europeans, right? Were tribes just like they were, right? Like, yeah. like people think of Europe as the like Europeans as this one mass of people, but the right. fact is, like, how many tribes were there uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, right? Where there's, you know, I was reading about the, um, uh, what's her name, um, 
and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, uh, Boudica or Boudicia, I think are the two ways, uh, the, the Iceni queen. She was a, a British tribal leader who went to war against the Romans. And she was, wow. yeah, she was cool. Um, really interesting story, history that I, I was just reading recently. And, and that was like, like, uh, to almost 2000 years ago. So right. like there's the, the Britons, the, the Gauls, the, the Celts, the, you know, the different, and then the right. Slavic tribes. So there's tribes around the world. There's peoples around the world. Um, right. And, and so cultures today have so much of it has evolved. And you look at America, right. Or uh, Britain to a large degree and Canada as well as America's hat. I think you were joking around um, <laughs> earlier, uh, but no, but these are <clears throat> multicultural societies. Yeah, with, with or at least their, we we were. Well, they're 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 with their I own mean, national identities, to, yep. and their own cultures and cultures within, right? Because within the United States, there's different cultures too, right? Like the Texans uh, versus someone from New Jersey, or versus someone from San Francisco, and or even within neighborhoods, there's different right. vibes, right? So forget skin color, right? right? There could be different vibes between different neighborhoods. Um, but that's, I feel like that's what we're, what, what you're pointing out and your answer to the question yeah. is another thing that we seem to understand or take for granted or had a better perspective on, which was the melting pot in general, that, yeah. um, not only are all these cultural, uh, you know, the artistic forms, whatever are derivative of each other. And that's a good thing. Cause then they're still living, but yeah. that we the, the melting pot, the plurality of the United States is its strength. Yeah, and I feel like what's happening so. today in schools is like two, it's like a paradox. You've got on the one hand, they're saying, you know, oh, we have to be mindful of all the different cultures and languages and he heritages, whatever, but in a tribal way, like break off. And as you said, you know, sequester yourselves and be like, you're here and you're, don't you appropriate anything they do. While at the same time, they're trying to homogenize us in terms of, what we value, what we think is important, what we're allowed to talk about, what we're not allowed to talk about, what humor is, what is what's acceptable behavior, which is basically anything that is not remotely normative. Okay, if you do anything normative, that's not acceptable. That's oppressive. That's white supremacist. But that they're trying to like homogenize us in this very awkward, inorganic, top-down way, while at the same time making us almost primitively tribal from the bottom up well it's this it, right? it's weird it's cultural yeah it's weird and it, it feels uh like a, almost like there's a cognitive dissonance to the whole thing i mean the 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 cultural competence or cultural competency right which yeah yeah is it, they the, the a lot of the educator activists like to pride themselves on this and and to me it's like great basically you're trafficking in stereotypes Right. 100%. They basically like mm -hmm. treat people in the stereotypical prejudiced way. Right. Right. It's, it's such yes. garbage um, because of the assumptions they're making about somebody's cultural background based on how they look yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah. But then they want everybody reciting the same talking points, uh, the approved talking points of the whatever the political uh, <clears throat> um, program is. Right. They don't want people to be organic. They don't want people, they don't want culture to occur naturally. They don't want someone to make their own idea or, you know, come with their own. No, no, no. You have to express the culture of, you have to sing the song of your people only. And when you're not singing the song of your people, uh, whether it, you know, whether it's, uh, then you have to uh, conform to the following 
um, I want to say almost like tenets, right? It's almost like, like, uh, like you have to recite the, the religious, you know, um, lines regularly. You have to use use these. Yeah, you have to like uh, the, language. The, yeah, the, the the dogma or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Know. Well, and that's it. It's it is dogma, right? And and doctrine and dogma, and you're you're going to speak a certain way, and you're going to behave a certain way, and you're not going to color outside the lines and you're not going to think for yourself and and you're not and you're not going to question any of it because if you question it then you're you're against it and that's a big big issue it's like well no we should be encouraging kids to ask questions to question the 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 orthodoxy to question the you know and yes i understand teachers have to maintain some sense of decorum in the classroom but if they weren't teaching ideology right if they were actually just teaching teaching math and teaching actual history rather than exactly um, an activist version of history, then we, the kids maybe wouldn't be asking such annoying questions. Right. But at this well, point, I just I think, think the they didn't teach to. us this. They didn't, they, we, we were taught the subjects. We yeah. were not taught the social mores in school. We had no, health class, we had parents. sex ed class, but they left it up to parents. And then, like you said, you know, like I said, actually, we didn't really have parents that much doing it, but we did have our entertainers. We did have our friends. We learned it from, you know, we learned what we could from our parents, our grandparents, et cetera. We kind of cobbled it together, but we still figured it out. And I think, you know, when they say today, like, well, some people don't have attentive parents to do this. I'm like, you know what? I'll tell you what. I still think it's better. I really do. I think it's better to learn from life, to learn from trial and error, to learn from your friends, to learn from your neighbors, to learn from just people out and about and living life, because that's what you're going to do. When you get out of school, you're going to have to go live life amongst the people. Okay. And I still think it's preferable, even if it's imperfect, if it's halting, if you miss out on some chunks of info or whatever, which by the way, I think you'd miss out on less if they taught you the rudimentary skills of reading and research and critical thinking in school, you'd probably miss out on less out there in the world, but that's a, yeah. But instead of that, they think they need to direct instruct the kids and everything they need to learn to be a grown up adult. And they're forgetting that the things you need to learn to be a grown up adult in school that are well learned in school are reading and math and all that stuff. The, I don't think you can direct instruct life. Well, I just don't, I don't think you can, you can't instill character into people. They have to build it for themselves by figuring it out. Right. So schools need to be teaching the subjects um, they need to be teaching information uh, and and I think what needs to be is kids to some degree I think maybe they're overdoing it they maybe they're that maybe they felt neglected so they feel like they need to make up for that and now they're become they're over indoctrinating kids and it, to some degree I think yeah have the resources there be supportive whatever but to some degree I think they need to let them figure themselves out let yes. them make mistakes let them screw up let them learn and don't uh um what do you call it Uh, don't condemn them for life for being a jerk in the eighth grade (laughs) like uh oh my god weren't we all (laughs) it's horrible to each other to their teachers to their parents even um because they're i mean there's a reason they don't vote um because they're crazy uh i'm sorry though people don't like that word but they're hormonal maniacs at that age and from one minute they'll be perfectly fine. The next minute they're screaming about something because the whole world, their whole world, just crumbled, just fell apart because you shut off the Wi-Fi. Like right, <laughs> they don't, like, and they don't need adults in school 
telling, like reinforcing all this negative stuff. Like if there's one thing I took away from most of my teachers, it was kind of that the only way I was going to be successful in their class was to shut off the part of my teenage brain that was filled with angst. (laughs) <laughs> and that may be easier for some than others. Now that, I mean, sure. like you said, it's good to have resources. Some kids can't shut it off. Some kids have real yeah. chaos at home, like real problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you should have those resources there, you know, to help them or whatever. But for the average kid who has average teenage angst, and mine was probably more than average, but even so the, the lesson of get out of your head and into the world was actually more therapeutic, more constructive than anything like the guidance counselor was going to tell me. The guidance counselor couldn't fix my, fix my mom or couldn't fix my home life and couldn't fix all that chaos and weirdness. But it really helped to have people say like, you know, let's talk about this now and we're going to focus, get out of your head. And what I feel like they're doing is they're having the kids spend a lot of time, like hang out and swim around in your angst yeah. and di- document and, you know, and journal your angst all the time. And I actually think that's really dangerous. Well, I think it just generates more angst in a lot of cases. Right. And yeah, so you're just sure. self-perpetuates. And of course, thus now we're going to need a whole team of school psychologists. <laughs> Social so, workers. Right. Yeah. So there's a certain amount doctors of and psychologists. I think there's a little bit of that going on too, right? A so, lot, a lot. So like, so All healthy right. skepticism. And I, and I think like what we talked about, just, I know we're, we're wrapping it up, but that I think parents, I think we, we talked about this yesterday is that, that parents need to really start taking an interest in what is being injected, put into their kids' heads these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if and, you can't and, be the kind of parent that, you know, you, you didn't have, I mean, I, I'm sympathetic. Like it's hard even for me. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how do you parent when you had no like real mo- model for it yourself? At least be the, be the parent that is tuned in to the fact that you are the parent. In other words, the school is not the parent and you may have gotten something out of health class or you may have gotten a lot of information from your friends or whatever, but today's there's just more bits of information firing at your kid mm-hmm. and they need you. They, and, they need you to dial in and, you know, tune in and not just let it put it on autopilot and let the school do it for you or whatever, because the chances are the school's going to get it wrong. They don't know your kid or to some them, teacher, your kid's a number. Yeah. 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 And, and, or the teacher's got a crazy view of the world or whatever. Right. Um, whatever. You know, yeah, maybe yeah. you do too, but you, I mean, hopefully you love your child and you know, that's the, that's up to you, well, but I just you hope that they can learn. And if their teachers aren't teaching it, then maybe parents need to think about this is to teach their kids to think for themselves, right? Critical thinking, right? Like they say, like, teaching teachers to teach kids, not, uh, what is it? What is it? They should teach them how to think, not what to think. Exactly. And, like, yeah. and I, I think that that maybe isn't quite clear what that means isn't right it isn't how what to think or how to think it's how to think critically and how to question things and how to and how to navigate the world where every a lot of people have different views different ideologies different perspectives and different agendas so you not to insult them not to say that they're all wrong or that they all mean you harm but that they are coming from different perspectives. And I think kids right. need to know that they can question those things for themselves. Yeah. And it should, the only thing that should be safe to do, you know, talk about safe, safe, safe. It should be safe 
to ask questions that nobody else asks. It should be yep. safe to challenge what somebody, what everyone else appears to think. And yep. I think the one thing it's absolutely not safe to do right now in school is to be different in your thought process. And, you know, yep. in terms of go, stepping yep. outside the ideology is very, very unsafe right now. You can dye your hair whatever color you want. You can be 75 genders, but you can't challenge the status quo when it comes to worldview. You can't that's even question not it. Get challenging it. You can't even question it. No, you can't even question um, it. It's like whatever they tell you in school, that is so, and, and anything else. And that's is bad. not just true in schools. That's true right now in a lot of workplaces Workplace, yeah. and on social media. And I don't know, like uh, Netflix just finally caught a piece of this. They, I think, it was the other day they announced about how the. I, yeah. I think we talked about this earlier. That how people are going to have to work work on content that they don't necessarily yep. agree with politically. That's, they they remembered they had an audience that was more diverse than their workforce, you know. Than so the, than their woke force, um, right? If you well, if you want to yeah. keep those audiences, and and now the schools are saying, you know, oh, parents are this, but it's like I hate to break it to you, but you don't teach a homogenous group of people. You keep talking about diversity, but you actually don't understand what diversity is. You're teaching the children of a diverse population of thoughts and opinions mm -hmm. and you know you don't get to decide what all the opinions should be even if everybody looks different if we look like that abc after school special where you know they had like the black kid the brown kid the you know the asian kid the white kid that you know the girl the boy the you know, they had one of everything and that was the after school special well and and i think part of that is that i think a lot of people believe that's the world when the reality is um, among those kids right all the our crayola box right yeah. uh there are so many actual cultures and ethnicities, right? So when you engage in colorism, uh, I think is the actual name for it. And it's kind of racism. Um, it is. Where, where you treat people by skin color. Um, yeah. And you erase their, their cultural heritage of their families. Their, you know, like, so, so it's, again, it goes back to this, this what educators call this cult, cultural competency. And, and it's, it's stereotyping. It's, it's just lazy. Um, and, and, and really the best way around it is, and I think parents, kids, teachers, coworkers, employers, just everyone really needs to get back to what the, the ideology or the ideal of, of, uh, of our generation was, which was to finally, which we thought finally, where we could start treating each other as individual human beings with interesting yeah. stories, family histories, backgrounds, the good, the bad, and the ugly and all that. And, 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 and finding that interesting about each other and right. then figuring ourselves out from there rather than what I like to call these lazy labels, right? Yep. They I are mean, lazy. They're, they're, they're substituting for having a personality, right? And, and it sucks. Uh, so, so I hope, the... sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, so I, I feel like it's time for our generation to represent we yeah. need to step up to yeah. the plate and we well, need to remind people. Those are our values. And I think those are actually good values that are in <clears throat> horribly neglected right now. Right. It would be nice to see some of that sort of treating other people as human beings, as individuals first yep. and, and, and not engaging in a lot of this sort of rhetoric, this, this identity nonsense. Um, yeah. I mean, frankly, I think somebody's labels, whatever identity groups they belong to are probably the least interesting things about them. A hundred percent. I've said so that so many times. Like, yeah, it's just, you know, I don't even walk around going, I'm a woman, you know, like I just don't even, I mean, yeah. I know that I am, but I yeah. don't, 
it is just not the first right? thing I think about when I think about myself. Um, definitely don't think about <laughs> around I just, womaning. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think about it. It's, I oh. can't imagine being stuck in that. And I yeah. don't think that's a good thing to teach kids either. Like you, you are not, you are not your body. You are not, you're your mind. Your mind yeah. is what you are. And yeah. I really wish we could get back to teaching kids that, that that's the everyone, most important thing. Develop that. A, they have a name. Everyone has a name. Start there. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You know? So, well, well David, thanks. thank you yeah. so much. Thank you for coming on and for having this, taking this time and talking to me about all these different topics and giving people a different perspective. Like I said, I like to have people come on who are not, you know, teachers necessarily, even parents, but just to share a point of view of like what you observe, what's going on, because um, I think we get tunnel vision on the schools, tunnel vision on the, you know, the lesson plans and all this. And we forget that we all have to share this country and, or just this world and think about um, the kids that we're raising and putting out into it and what, what's being observed by other people. So I appreciate your sharing your thoughts. I well, really thanks. Thanks for having me uh, as a guest. It was, it was good chat. And, uh, and yeah, I, I don't know, chat. I hope I, I had some interesting points that people want might find you know, worth. Yeah. Considering. Well, I mean, if nothing else, it was, it was validating for me because I was, like I said, I'm walking around like, is this, am I crazy? You know, and a yeah. lot of people I talk to are either like older than I am or quite a bit younger than I am. And, you know, or they're mm. also parents. And so, you know, sometimes I like to talk to people who don't have children because it's kind of like, all right, you don't have the same emotional sort of investment in this that maybe I have. And I get, I get, I get to wondering like, am I seeing this straight or is it because I'm because I'm thinking Do about I have my like kids. My rabid mom sort of vision because I'm angry. Right. No, exactly. I'm, it's like the, the mother bear stuff, thing yeah. coming out. So it's really helpful to just get from other people to say, hey, no, you know, this is what I'm seeing. And this is like not what I experienced. And and it just I think it helps us to reconnect. Um, I think we get going on a hamster treadmill and we forget mm -hmm. when we were kids and we forget what it felt like. And that will, I hope get more parents to ask questions like, why are they talking about their feelings all the time? We didn't do that. Why are they talking about the teacher's politics all that? We didn't do that. And, and I know it's tempting to think like, well, I don't want to be a fogey and go back to well in my day, but you know, there are things that we did that were actually good. Yeah. Right. We got to here. We invented the internet. <laughs> I mean, you know, our, our, our grandparents put, you know, put a man on the moon. Right. So I, we oh, yeah, not, not, every, not everything, you know, people, what's the old, uh, throw out the baby with the bathwater. Not, not yeah. everything that happened right. um, in the past was all bad. Yeah. There's no. some bad, but there's some good. Can um, we keep some of it? Can we keep well, some of it? Cause some of it was right? pretty decent. Well, yeah. and, and I and I feel like there was a lot of cultural change and a lot of cultural shifting and a lot of culture, yeah. frankly, of our our day um, that has been almost erased by the sort of activism that's been become popular now. It's yeah. like it's like the 1990s and early 2000s never happened, um, exactly. right? And and the, and the the massive changes that that went on there, which were great, a lot of positive things, especially uh, on these identity issues. Um, yes. are they, they pretend uh that oh well no no we're we're not we're living in a world that's still the you know the the 1950s right. it's still madmen it's still or it's still uh the 1600s like you know right right yeah and it's but, like no no that's we 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 went past that but can we enjoy it now yeah. or like yeah. i said it was like five minutes and i felt like 
okay, yeah. things are pretty good. And then it was like, wait, what happened? I feel like we're going backwards. What happened? Well, so part of that is that when you're busy parenting or you're busy trying to make partner at the, the, the firm you work at, or, you know, there's a good decade where you have your head down so much, you're working constantly and, and you can, right. and then you come up for air and you look around and you're like, well, the world's changed a lot. Um, right, exactly. So, you know, it's good to take a bead on the culture um, yeah. and, and the culture wars and there's always, you know, stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. So it's, but hopefully um, I think hopefully, uh, you know, every part of the conversation and everybody can, <clears throat> the more aware we are, the more we talk about things, Hopefully it can lead to people like, like, you know, I know your, your, uh, um, your listeners and, and viewers, uh, a lot of them are parents that they can maybe start noticing or, or, or taking more of an account of a lot of these things and maybe getting involved um, directly. Cause I think that's really what has to happen with a lot of this stuff to say, yeah. look, Hey, there's a line here. There's, there's certain things that are appropriate and certain things that are not. And some things yeah. are up to the parents to teach and maybe let the kids figure themselves out a little bit too. Right. Um, and that's exactly. kind of, that's one of the things I think everybody kind of forgets a little bit. Uh, Cause we're so, we just want to make sure everybody's safe, right. That everything's good. Yeah. And well, we can't keep everyone safe. We, I we, think there's, there's something to be said for a little stress. Well, they can't learn. They can't learn to, to swim on their own, to, to pedal on their own, right? Like eventually you have to take your hand off that bicycle seat and let them pedal on their own or take off those training wheels. And, and I think that's part of what's missing with the sort of yep. safetyism of today's culture is exactly. And we see it. People aren't really growing up. Exactly. You know, they're becoming exactly. big baby adults, right? Well, big baby adults. I think that's a good place to end <laughs> it. <laughs> but well, thank you so much. And thanks oh. everybody for listening and watching. And we will see you next time.